1: to the two tongues podcast another sunday here in the uh the podcast studio podcast studio that looks really nice thanks we've man. come a long way
2: yeah it, it was pretty bare bones when we first uh, had it built well
1: i'm thinking about when we were out there <laughs> I mean, It was just the,
2: like a picnic table you know it was this podcast started out on a picnic table yeah dude mm. we've come a long way now we have a uh, like 400 square feet uh
1: yeah it's all right man um that's how big this room is i can't i can't really remember i think it's pr- it might be bigger than that that seems big to me i don't I'm not good with that kind of stuff i don't, <laughs> I don't do that shit well I was I was reading an article this morning I was talking about ways that people in Europe
2: and Asia know if you're American you know habits that you have that are that make you stand out as as american and one of them is the the look of bewilderment on our faces when somebody asks you uh the weight of your uh, luggage in, in metric. Kilograms, in kilograms. Yeah,
1: kilograms. Yeah. This is just the look of panic on Americans' faces. Divide by two, basically. I mean, you're not going to be exact, I think, but isn't a kilogram like two pounds almost? Oh, boy. I think it is. We we don't have the internet right, right. now, we're not, so we can't. No,
2: we're not going to fact check that. We're just going to say yes. Yeah. Oh, it's simple math. We don't even know that. We don't even know that short... I don't know the shortcut if it's just divide by two. Situations. it's that.
1: Da- that's not going to get you an exact, you know, but I think it's like... I think to get your luggage by, I think you'd be good. Like, if your luggage weighs 50 pounds, I think it's about 25 kilograms. Oh, boy. But I could be totally wrong. So, you know, the, the listeners that we have in Europe are like, that's <laughs> fucking total. They probably don't know pounds. So, you know, yeah. they're, they're like, yeah, that's, that's probably right. <laughs> the, the ones in England know pounds.
2: That's where it came from. Do they? And did you know that the English resisted uh, the metric system for a long time? Oh, I didn't know that. Like we, we did, like, the, the United States is the only
1: country, really, that's held out and said, no, nah, we're going to stick with the king's measurements. We should switch. It's so much better, dude. Yeah. Uh, when I did those that blueprint class for uh, welding, so I, I had to learn, I mean, I'm not great at it still, but uh, I had to learn the metric you know, me- metric measurements for blueprints. And another thing they do is decimal inches as opposed to... Fractions of inches. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's And good. decimal inches is so much better than fraction of an yeah. inch. So. It, it, yeah, it just seems to make way more sense to it's me. It's so much easier, man. It, like, it's... Yeah, I don't know. If you guys don't know about the metric system or decimal inches, look into it. It's so much easier. So, yeah, it's like, so just going back to basic arithmetic, a
2: fraction you know a, a number above another number that's a that's a division function right so if you, <gasps> if you tell me 3 3 quarters that's not, you're not telling me really information you're giving me another problem to solve
1: yeah it's if you, exactly. if you
2: give it to me in decimals that's the answer to that effing mm-hmm. problem
1: yep yeah oh, it, it, boy. with fractions they're giving you like some kind of a word problem that you've yeah, solve before oh, god fucking stupid yeah i don't
2: care for word problems nobody Nobody does. You want me to apply this mathematics? No, sir, that's
1: confusing. Yeah, that's always the confusing part, although it was all confusing for me. I just didn't pay attention, so.
2: (laughs) Well, listen, back to this office before we leave that subject. I'm not sure we can fit any more art in here.
1: No, you got some space underneath there, underneath the other side, on this wall. You got plenty of room, dude. What are you talking about?
2: Well, we may have a little bit of room, but what happens when we get that... uh, that uh, joe rogan neon light that says the two tongues experience up oh, here i guess I then know. you
1: gotta take something down
2: <laughs> i gotta take something down i do have room here if we have more cave paintings that we decide are awesome that we need to go on the wall yeah because i'll fill that whole wall full of cave paintings if i, I want think, to
1: i think we should start doing cave paintings <laughs> <Rolling> <laughs> i'm taking caves. pictures of them we should um I, although i went to this park that's out here west of you guys and I thought about... There's these big rock faces. It's a beautiful park, man. You guys should go out there. Um, But there's these big rock faces along the river, and people have spray-painted on them. Mm. And it, like, pisses me off, you know? Yeah. But it's, like, kind of the same thing, you know? Like, why... (coughs) excuse me i mean i I do know the difference but like why is this uh i'm like super stoked on this but like somebody spray paints on it and i'm like these fucking assholes you know
2: that's an interesting question and i want to try to answer it. i want to try to think it through here so what seems to be different to me is the intention behind the act so if a teenager does it it's you want to say it's vandalism it's an arbitrary act of rebellion it's that that you know and maybe that's an important expression you know and maybe i shouldn't be brushing that off maybe that's an important like developmental process uh but when i think of these paintings i, I think okay these are religious images and i could be completely wrong about that but that's my interpretation so like if i'm going out into nature and i'm quote spoiling it with my own i'm putting my own artistic touch on god's beautiful creation if i'm that bold enough to do that at least these people were doing it to honor you know some spiritual uh, idea yeah. and that, these th- therianthropes in particular these half human half animal creatures to me always seem like always seem like a confession of uh, the hunter's experience of his oneness with the creature he has to kill in order to sustain him his own life it's like you, as a hunter you recognize that that you that life is taken in order to be sustained and that there's a connection between all life and then you turn around and you carve this half animal half human creature it's like it's a confession of the oneness of 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 nature and and spirit is so beautiful and i compare that to somebody spray painting a dick on the side of a of a, yeah. of a you know bridge
1: yeah well that's one of the things i was thinking is that there are some types of graffiti that if I saw it on the side of those rock faces that I wouldn't be mad at because some graffiti is beautiful. Some people are really talented and like that type of an expression with these cave paintings, people do that with graffiti. That's um, true. But a lot of it is people just like tagging. They've got like that's you know, the stupid graffiti uh, font that people use. Uh, they create, I mean, a lot of people create their own um, but I mean, it all looks the same, and it's fucking stupid. And they just put their stupid tag on there, yeah. their name. Um, I just I could do without that, you so know. What,
2: what comes? To, I know I know what you mean. Uh, what comes to mind specifically when you imagine those, you know, graffiti art or uh, whatever that stands out as meaningful or, or beautiful? Is there something particular that comes to your your mind?
1: Um, you know. I can't remember, like, you know, because it's not like there's... I'm sure there... I know that there is graffiti in museums, but a lot of the stuff that I see is just when I'm, like, downtown or, like, at at a train crossing and the train's going by. And most of the time, you do see it's just stupid tags. But every now and then, you see something, and it's like, whoa, that's kind of cool, you know? know So, like, I can't think of anything in specific, but I've definitely seen graffiti. And I have seen, um, like I told you before... Uh, this guy that I used to work with had a, an art gallery in Lakewood and he, uh, had these graffiti people from Chicago and, and they had like, you know, they used, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Skateboard decks, uh, as canvases. They did a lot of cool stuff. Nice. Um, so, you know.
2: Yeah. So that's kind of where I was getting at because, um, I do remember where, where I used to live. It was nearby, uh, a couple of railroad track crossings so you would see you get stuck behind them and you'd see all those carts um, oh, yeah. and they would be tagged all to hell all to smithereens yeah. and for every hundred of them that are just terrible just scars on the uh on the on the uh, me- big metal boxes there's one that stands out so and you're cool. like this person actually has some artistic talent sure and then i then i wonder it's like I drew growing up. I liked to draw mm-hmm. and I was never great at it, but I got you were way better than I was. I got good at it, yeah. you know, ish. Shout out to Matthew. Uh <laughs> better than better than Matthew. In any case, um I had to practice. I had to. It's the only way to get better. You have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And I see, you know, all those kids that are that are putting those terrible tags out there. They don't get to be that
1: 100th guy with talent unless they're out there Tagging like away. vandalizing yeah. a bunch
2: of shit with a garbage. Yeah,
1: yeah. I actually Don't really care about spray paint on trains. Trains are fucking ugly anyways. Like, just... I don't don't really care. Um, Just don't, like, do it on the giant beautiful rock faces at a beautiful park, you know? Like, that's what bothers me. What if Um, if I can understand why the people who own the trains wouldn't want them to do it, but I don't fucking care. What if
2: Tesla made those trains and they were beautiful? Then would you be okay with them getting tagged?
1: No. uh, Well, I... I guess I still wouldn't really care because it's Tesla and they're like a bajillion dollar company they can they can clean up their own fucking trains uh, or they can pay to keep prevent people from doing it Um, or they can like prosecute people who do it into you know like people not wanting to do it but basically I don't care if somebody goes and spray paints a Tesla train Um, I under but that being said uh, I really don't that being said, I understand why the people who own Tesla don't want them to, and I think that they have the right to try to prevent them from it. You know what I mean? Uh, but I don't think it's like a scar on somebody's moral character if they spray paint a Tesla train,
0: yeah, a beautiful okay. Tesla train. I can see,
2: I can see where, where your passion is in that argument. Uh, two things came to my mind while you were talking. After we said Tesla has redesigned these, these, you know. Cargo trains. I can imagine they all look like space age Tesla trucks. They're like floating. Uh, yeah. For, first thing that came, they're floating exactly. <laughs> first thing that came to my mind was um, uh, the movie with Stallone and Snipes, um, yeah, Demolition yeah. Man. Yeah, yeah. When when the people from <laughs> the people that live underground, when they come up and spray paint the buildings. Um, the robots they just pop out of the ground like sprinklers, and yeah. they just take it off. And I imagine Tesla's trains would have this technology. Be yeah, there you um, go. You would spray paint them, and they would just take them is, off. That'd be pretty sweet. The other thing that comes to my mind is this: it's like not from the perspective of the mor- morality of doing that, uh, and whether Tesla could afford to fix it, and whether there's any moral, uh, you know, sin that that takes place when a kid does something like that. Um, I'm picturing like Asia, like. Japan, and their subway systems, and their trains, and I just imagine, I've never seen them, but I just imagine, this is a complete assumption, but uh, an educated one, that they're pristine, and that when when you go through Tokyo, and you see those trains zipping by, that they look beautiful. They look unspoiled. That the whole town, the whole town looks clean and sharp, and you know this contrast of ancient and modern, and everything's well kept. And it looks like yeah. it looks beautiful. I would. And say, then you go to Los Angeles, and you yeah. see the spray painted garbage trains going by. And me, as a as a visitor, like which one do you prefer? It's like you're fucking that up for society because you have a little bit of teenage aggression. You want to spray paint. You want to ruin this beautiful thing.
1: Um. I don't know that I see I think of Japan and I completely agree with you that it's like clean and orderly I don't know that I would necessarily call it beautiful unless it is for some reason but just like I'm sure it's beautiful some parts of it sure but just like the thought of a subway system you know it's like even a really clean one it doesn't really seem beautiful to me I know that some of them you can have like really beautifully designed subway stations and and whatnot but just like your run-of-the-mill one it doesn't strike me as beautiful
2: do, do you think there's uh, like like the hood in 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 these asian, in these these asian countries like I'm in sure japan th- do you think there's a, like a ghetto I'm sure there is, but or it's like a white trash neighborhood the equivalent of there's what white that would trash be?
1: everywhere you well you know you know <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> Tokyo, there's, uh, there's don't tra- say it don't say it uh, <laughs> <all right. laughs> um yeah i mean i think every- i just think the uh the levels are obviously going to be different I think they probably have a higher cl- a higher class of trash over there
2: <laughs> you know I used to think that like th- uh Thinking about how the American perception of the Brit of the English, of the British, as oh, yeah. prim, prim and All proper fancy. and smart, and because their, their accents and the way they yeah, s- speak dude. a little bit more properly, nah, uh, it, it makes you think that they're smart, smarter. And I always thought, like, oh, like the the, the poor people, the poor part of that society. Um, that they would still sound, seem, you know...
1: All posh. All posh. Yeah. And then you, like, watch British television, and you're like, oh, those are the ones. Yeah, dude. My uh, Shout out to Daniel Torridon. He's a, a very smart fellow, but my, my, what's the word, the delusion of that for, you know, the, the smart British people has been washed away a long time ago for me. Holy shit, there are some dumb British people.
2: Was that, was that exposure from the internet? The internet, yeah. yeah. It's like, See, holy shit. For me, for me it, was, it was strictly British TV.
1: And what's particularly irritating about it is this attitude that a lot of people have. A lot of Americans have this idea that, oh, it's so much better over there in Europe. They're so much smarter and more progressive and uh, they've got their shit together over there. And I think that they in Europe think that too. They think that about us. But it's like, no, you have just as many stupid fucks as we do, if not more. Like yeah, yeah. 100% without question.
2: It also makes you wonder um, if, if people in other parts of the world have that perception of Americans that were like uh, cutting edge and really industrious and big and strong and healthy. Well, you know, too healthy, you might say. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, whatever those stereotypes are of, of, uh, of, of Americans that are positive. Um, it's like we, you know, we work uh, long hours and like the rest of the world's the rest of the industrialized world's not like that. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, Sweden's talking about going to four-hour work days, or maybe they already do, or four-day four work weeks, I, I mean to say. Yeah,
1: yeah.
2: Um, stuff like that. I'm getting off track.
1: I don't, I don't think we had a track really.
2: <laughs> um, but... Oh, with the perception that, that people in Europe and Asia have of Americans, I, think, I guess. I think
1: America is doing everything it can to ruin its reputation. You know, like... Mm-hmm. In the advanced country, you know, whatever, first world countries, however you want to phrase it, um, you know, they all think of us as, you know, capitalist pigs, we don't care about our people, we're not, you know, the, like the idea of socialism, like they think it's some great thing and we're, you know, resistant to it, yeah. um, even though we're not really. Um, you know, so they think of us that way. And do, do you think so? Or do you think it's like the, the mainstream
2: you know the people that represent the narrative the you know the public narrative of of that that they that they say that and like if you asked a a person in Sweden what they
1: what they think of American government like I think a lot of people do I think that you I mean I think that you're right there're there are people who don't there are people who know you know um but I do think that the media the people who are kind of pushing the narrative are um saying that for sure but i think that them saying that causes a lot of people to think it well that's that's true that's that's why that's done yeah yeah um so you know in those places they think of us that way and then in like the third world where they're like yeah i would love to be able to start my own business and you know just hustle and but then they then we're dropping bombs on them and killing them and fucking them over uh with sanctions you know obviously not every part of the third world but um, lots of them, you know. We we really uh, we kind of throw our weight around. It's an interesting way of putting it because my cause my
2: mind was going there too. It's like you can definitely see these more um, uh, quote unquote progressive liberal democracies, and I'm thinking of mostly of Scandinavia that that people do perceive that way of living and it being governed and existing as as more advanced, as more as more uh, evolved than what we have. But there's certain ways in which our form of government and the economy are better, that they're more productive. I mean, we have larger populations. We have all sorts of other things going on. But the United States is still number one, number two economy in the entire world and yeah. pulls the strings on more than that.
1: And a few of our – I think a couple of our states are up there. You know. Oh,
2: dude, that's – sorry to like no, you're reverse good. course, but what I was getting at earlier, and you just jogged my memory – is when people in Europe or Asia think about Americans, like what kind of American are, are they imagining? Yeah. Because if you're from the United States, you know things like how different somebody in Connecticut is from somebody in Texas, mm-hmm. and 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 there's ways in which they're worlds apart. Oh, yeah. You know, culturally and the way they sound and the language and all that, but people in other countries don't know that level of detail about it about America. So. What are they picturing? Are they picturing California? Is that what they're picturing?
1: He's like, yes, I I think think so, for sure. Uh, I think it's more. It's you know, think about the way that you think of England. You know, Uh, I think of you know, I try to be as you know realistic about but i don't know england that well no, so i think of all. like the fancy people
0: yes you know and
1: i you know so i'm thinking like they live in london you know uh, i don't really know i <laughs> yeah, don't know no, any of the other. Good. and then uh, i think of like the the regular people and they just live everywhere else you know what i mean and i think that's probably how it is they're like oh you got all the the hip cool people who live in new york and la and uh and then there's the rest of the country yeah you know so i i'm gonna
2: this is fun i think this is gonna be fun I'm going to talk about the assumptions that I make also about English geography, having never been there and know nothing about it, yeah. other, other than w- references in books, mm-hmm. references in history, um, it, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, so, uh, so for some reason, I imagine, so, so London, I'm pretty sure, is like southeastern south part of, uh, of England. Yeah. And uh, there's, so there's not a whole lot south of, of London and, uh, and then north of London. I don't really know anything. I know, that, I know that, if you, uh, that if you head west, you can hit Wales at some point. Uh, but if you, if you go north, uh, I imagine, for some reason, that it's more working class, north of England, that it's colder, and the people are harder and something about Scotland being up there might have something to do with my Us, yeah. my my feeling that way mm-hmm. so like maybe that's where the industry is it's up north and that's where the that's where the 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 blue collar people Scotland are living is super
1: and, interesting man Scotland
2: is interesting because
1: they they've got this history where the Scots are so badass yeah, yeah, throughout man. history the scottish people have been like some of the most badass people um but now they're just like uh you know, we, we talk a lot about, uh, like, socialism and shit. They just... They're all just begging for it, man. Like, they all want it so bad. What um, yeah, They want what? To be, to to be covered? To, yeah, yeah, by England. Like, you know, they had the uh, the vote to stay or leave uh, Great Britain, and oh, they Brexit? voted... Brexit? Yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 no. Uh, Brexit was England leaving the, the European oh, the Union. the European
2: Union. Yeah, you're Scotland
1: right. Scotland had a vote to leave... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, Great the, Britain. The United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they voted to stay. Uh, and now they're, uh, because Europe, or I'm sorry, because England is going to leave the European Union, they're voting to, uh, they're going to leave so that they can stay in the European Union. Oh. And it's just like, it's so, like so, you're so trading one master for another. You wow. Know? So the so, the,
2: so the, the question was whether Scotland should should secede from the UK or in order to remain a part of the UN. Yeah. Uh boy, or the so the EU, excuse
1: me. And Jesus. they're just all about Jesus. they're just all about socialism. Um wow. You know, uh I think there's a I can't remember the name of the party, but I know I know a little bit the, about this because I've just watched videos and stuff. Um but uh yeah, they just uh I don't know, man. Uh, I I feel listen, I feel like there's a whole bunch of Tartan plaid wearing, grizzly red
2: bearded men that would are so angry at you right now for for <laughs> shitting on Scotland. I don't care.
1: I don't care at all. I mean, you look at. Do you know about Count Count Dankula? Uh, you, I know you probably don't. <laughs> yeah, that name rings a bell. going, keep, oh, okay. yeah, keep going. Uh, so he's a guy from Scotland. He's a you know he makes silly internet videos. He's fucking hilarious. I love the guy. Um, but he's a Scottish guy, and he has a girlfriend i think i think they're married now uh but at the, at this point they were married and his girlfriend had a pug so he taught the pug to do the nazi salute he would say Z, Kyle and the pug oh, the pug no, raised its no. paw no. Well, i just who, who cares <laughs> like it's like is it is this dog is he teaching the dog to go hunt Jews down? No no, it's a fucking joke yeah, it's clearly. like she loves the dog she th- thinks it's the cutest thing in the world, so he's gonna teach it to do this awful <laughs> thing uh so but he got char- like he got charged for that he got you know charges pressed on him taken to court, he refused to pay the fine they took it out of his bank account wow um you know like years of his life in legal battles because of a fucking joke and uh you know. No, I, I think that that's any any of those those tartan wearing people. If they if they're cool with that, I don't care. They can. Mm-hmm.
2: What about the ones that uh, pick up the log and they throw it up over their heads? The, I don't know what you're talking about. It's a Scottish thing, I think. Is uh, it? I think so. Maybe. All right. So we got London. We got uh, Liverpool. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean it. it I'm, I'm probably going to embarrass myself at any moment running out of cities to Look, name.
1: Uh, and know you got, like, Manchester. Leeds. Leeds. Cornwall.
2: <laughs> Yorkshire? Or is that a county? I don't know. Damn it.
1: Probably a county. It's probably a city and a county. Uh,
2: I wonder how many American cities uh, the British could name. Probably more. You think probably more, maybe.
1: Well, they got more. We got more cities. That's true. So. We got more cities. <laughs> that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> uh, uh,
2: so while we're talking about uh, Scotland... I mean, William Wallace, only because of Braveheart, is really the only historical character from Scotland that, like, rings a bell immediately. Earl the Bruce. Mm, yeah, yeah. Robert the Bruce. Earl uh, the Bruce, Uh <laughs> <said. laughs> uh Yeah, man, uh, that's sad. That's sad. Yeah.
1: I don't know a whole lot more specific characters, to oh, be boy. honest with you. So.
2: Um, I, I learned more... Uh, British history and Scottish history from television than I ever did from school. For sure, you yeah. know
1: me, me more YouTube than television.
2: But I learned it. I learned a ton from watching shows like um, uh, Josh Gates um, on Discovery. What's what's this? Uh, Josh, Josh Gates. Gates. Josh Gates is I don't the dude. Know that guy. Oh man! I don't the top. Yeah, you head definitely head know news. him. I just can't. I just can't. People are hollering right now the name of the show. Um, Josh Gates. History with Gates. Damn it! No, nah, Just stop! I can't think of it. But anyway, he's got several shows, and they're all awesome. And he's uh, it's he's like an Indiana Jones type guy. Gates ar- World. <laughs> Shut your mouth! He's he's like an archaeologist that goes around and uh, you know, he's he goes all over the world and shows you interesting shit. So I've learned a lot about that. Cool. That's where I think that's where I saw the Scottish guys throwing the the logs. The, like literally like twenty five foot tall, fully. Tree stumps,
1: man. Yeah, that's Tossing them cool. over their head. Like, Sounds like strongman stuff, but like I never, strongman I've stumps, never seen yeah. any specific Scottish thing with logs, I don't think. I'll have to look that up. Speaking of
2: Scottish logs, you sent me your, your DNA test results. Yeah. You have quite a lot of Scottish
1: up in you. Yeah, that's like number two, I think. I, think, I don't think I can really look at it because of the internet. I have it written down oh, do on you? paper. Oh, you know like what? Savage. I think I have a, a photo. Yeah.
2: Which DNA company did you use? Uh, Ancestry. So Kyle used Ancestry. I used uh, one that was being done through National Geographic.
1: Oh, yeah? So
2: mine's a little different than everyone else's and actually not as good as everyone else's. Uh, but Why I do you say that? Because it's not as detailed and because, because it's not as detailed. And because, oh. like, Jessica did one through 23 and Me, maybe? I can't remember. Maybe it was Ancestry. But when they get more DNA data in their database, hmm. they send her updates. Oh really? Yes. Oh, that's cool. So she's her data pie chart has changed already since she did it and she's got more of this than she thought as they get more data and they can get more specific. I don't get that. So oh, I had wow. like a point in time information and that was it. But I did write mine down to compare to yours. Okay.
1: So, so what was your top one?
2: The one so, that you sort of the same as yours, they categorized it as northwest Europe.
1: Yeah. So mine was England and Northwestern Europe? Yes.
2: And your percentage was what?
1: 37%.
2: So mine was 54. Okay. But I don't exactly know. Now, they do give me a map on mine that shows me, like, uh, certain, like, geographical zones where the genetic markers come from. So you can kind of zoom in on and see what countries those colors overlap on. So when I look at the map, it's mostly England and Scotland that are showing up in Northwest Europe. Yeah. Um, also, Germany. So I don't know if that falls into the Northwest or, the, or category, or probably it does, because there's a lot of German in there, too.
1: Yeah. See, I think that with Ancestry, it's broken down into smaller areas. Um, yeah. Because I've got England and Northwestern Europe, and that's like, uh, when they say Northwestern Europe, in, in the map that I have, uh, which I can't look at right now, uh, it's basically England and just like... You know the Netherlands uh, and that, like maybe into Belgium and Liechtenstein a little bit, but it's not like France or anything like that. Okay, okay. Um, that that's not included in Northwestern Europe. Uh, so yeah, it, it, I mean, like mine, I've got Germanic Europe. That's kind of far down the list. Yeah, it actually that that surprised me, and I wonder how they categorize that. Yeah, I don't know. I would like to know too. But if
2: you add up, if you add up your Scotland and in your in your Ireland percentages because you got twenty one percent Scottish, fourteen Irish. Yeah. If you add that up with your thirty seven percent English and Northwest Europe, that's going to be even higher than my fifty four percent coming from Northwest Europe. So you're definitely in that Northern Europe zone. Like, that's that's where most of your DNA is coming oh, from. Oh, for
1: sure.
2: Actually, that's kind of where all your DNA is coming from. But you, yeah.
1: Do- uh, I mean. Pretty much strictly Northern Europe. Yeah. I mean, that's it. You know, if you're breaking it into south, north, south, east, west, it's all it's all Northern.
2: Yeah, true. And then and then you've got thirteen percent Sweden and Denmark. If you and that you know, because obviously that's more Scandinavian and five percent from Norway. Yep. So you know, that's almost twenty percent there in Scandinavia. Yep. Then you add in the Germanic eight percent. And there's a lot of overlap in the Germanic and Scandinavian yeah. people. So that's and then you have got. It, a,
1: England I mean you think about it England that's Germanic people too
2: yeah well they're mixed in with the Celts there absolutely yeah, yeah. and then you, you 2% Wales which I think is interesting that they give you Scottish Irish and Welsh as separate categories yeah um but I know that the Welsh are pretty unique in terms of their culture even even today in England the Welsh is they've got a very different accent they've got they've got they still maintain that the Celtic uh writing you know and um yeah, pretty keep, cool. There's some pe- people that are really hard to understand over there,
1: Yeah, and apparently the Welsh are one of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them and the Scots, man. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. Um, it gives. There's a lot of other information that I can't really look at right now because of the Internet situation, but they, like, can tell you, like, they've got these traits, and uh, it tells you that, like, it said I have blonde hair, which I kind of do. Yeah. It's like light, you know, yeah, or yeah. A, like kind of a darker blonde. Uh, and, like, my beard is, like, straight up blonde, uh, a lot of it. Yep. Um, and it said – so it said I have blonde hair but the gene to pass on red hair. Oh, so interesting. So I could yeah, potentially I could have that. red-headed children. Yeah, I could see that. Um, which would be cool. I, yeah. I, 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 I was telling Chelsea this. Like, I used to think of, like – I was like, oh, I wouldn't want to be a redheaded dude, you know. But now I think of like a uh, Tormund from Game of Thrones. If I had red hair and a giant beard, and then <laughs> yeah. that would be fucking awesome, yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. And there's just cool stuff. Uh, I guess uh, red hair was associated with royalty back in the day. Interesting. So like a, I don't know, like a god thing or something, you know. Interesting. Well,
2: I know there's a really only a really small percentage of the population that has red hair. Yeah. And a very small population that has green eyes. And those characteristics in combination are extremely rare, but they happen in, you know, pl- places like Ireland and yeah. all that. And they're so small as a percentage of population that they're considered like genetic variants, like mutations. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you can imagine if you were one of those special people that looked, like, that looked that way. It's also, you know, it's also interesting that there's little clusters of them in different different parts of the world. And all, all of them are very far north, you yeah.
1: know. yeah. I uh, I think. Wait a minute.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think. Wait a minute. Do I think?
1: Do I think? No, I was going to talk about something specific, and I can't remember what it was.
2: Well, let me uh, let me read you the rest of my percentages while you're thinking. All right. It's probably more of that detailed information about your uh, about your g- test. Anyway, so fifty four percent for me from Northwest Europe, twenty six percent from Eastern Europe. Um, I'm not really sure because when I look at the map
1: What what, was the percentage? 26 26. That's high It
2: does seem high and I'll tell you what so this is just one of those American biases maybe Um, when I think of Eastern Europe I think of the poor part of Europe you know Uh, I think of like the Western Bloc or you know the Eastern Bloc rather I think of um, countries that (laughs) countries that aren't as economically prosperous you know Yeah thanks a Um, lot
1: Soviet Union (laughs) but
2: the reason I say that is, and those all have like deep and valuable histories and have all the potential in the world to recover and to be a great, you know, hub in the world. Um, there's not, I'm not demeaning them at all. I'm, I'm, I'm cushioning this statement to say that having such a high percent coming from Eastern Europe makes me feel like, oh, you know, my ancestors are from the poor part of Europe. Like, I don't know I if I like that. Um, I wonder how far back. It's a good question.
1: Like, do you know? Yeah, uh,
2: there was some of that information in there about how far back the certain genetic traits go. So, like, it okay. tells me, like, by thousands of years
1: or what hundreds of What I was going to ask, though, is, like, you don't have, like, like uh, a great uncle that you know of that was from the Ukraine or something like that? Not that I know of, but I don't know. That's the problem
2: with being an American is the history only goes back a couple of generations for most people we don't really yeah. know. And I, I don't. Like, I know that my... My first ancestor that came over here on my dad's side, that he married a woman who was either Irish or Scottish. I say that only because her m- maiden name was McFadden, so I couldn't tell you. Sure. But and it seems to me like going back to the you know 1800s, she's probably pretty, pretty pure-blooded uh, Irish or Scottish, and that that was mixed in, you know, right when we came over here to the U.S. And his side of the his side of the family came from m- maybe Germany, maybe Switzerland, m- you know. Um, maybe yeah, somewhere in that area. Gotcha. Um, and then my, my mom's side of the family is like German, and that's kind of all you know. And Germany's a big place, and it's also changed. It's, parts of it used to be called Austria. Parts of it used to be called, you know, so it's like, how do you know, man? How do you know? Yeah. Interesting. But when you look at the map where you it the, the, has those colored blotches, it's not clear to me what countries in Eastern Europe they're referring to. It kind of seems like Germany where they're, where they're putting the dot. Um, but then there's 18% from Southwest Europe, so you know maybe more of the Mediterranean uh, area. I don't know.
1: I would consider Switzerland. Yeah, Southwest Europe. Yeah, I
2: would. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um. And then two percent. Here's the surprise. Here's the here's the left hook out of nowhere. Two percent from Asia Minor. Oh. And the the dot there is way off from all the other dots. It's like somebody slept with a Jew. It's like, <laughs> uh, but but it's not really. It's not. It's not really from uh, Palestine. It is seemingly like the north the excuse me the southern uh sub southern west southwestern area of Turkey
1: southwestern yeah
2: some okay. a, some area or excuse me north northwestern.
1: northwestern yeah like right up on the border oh, so right okay <clears throat> like in the okay, you know how there's like a little bit of is it on the the it's, anatolian it's, peninsula it's not no Turkey? no it's it's inland
2: from there okay, but just gotcha. Um, so somewhere in there, and uh, cool. I don't know, like, that's interesting, because, like, civilization came that direction, you know, people, you know, the trade routes that came from uh, from the earliest civilizations in the Middle East and Asia, or excuse me, in, in India and, um, uh, you know, uh, Egypt and... and You know, Greece and all that, all the trade flowed up that way into Europe, and so people flowed up that way into Europe, so somebody had sex with somebody from there, or or migrated from there, but then the DNA got watered down over time, and I end up with 2%. So it's like, how far back does that go? What was the story? It goes back a long way, probably, a long, long way. I would assume so. It's interesting, the things you find out, you know?
1: Yeah. I I think, uh, as, you know, like you said, Jess did it, and she gets updates. I just wonder, like, as more people do it, what they'll be able to tell people, you know? It's
2: interesting. I don't know. But they did shrink the percentage of her DNA from Sweden, where she was always kind of proud to have uh, uh, her, her family from Finland and in, in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And then she, and her, she took her test, and the DNA results confirmed her suspicions, you know? And then, then they gave her an update, and it downgraded her to Swedish percentage. Yep. She's like, wait a minute, you're toying with my identity. I don't think I care for that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they also gave me a whole bunch of people who have taken the DNA test from them that I'm supposedly related to. I know, like, two of them. You know, like, and I I mean, there's like, I would say probably over 50 people that are supposedly my second, third, fourth cousins. Does it tell you where they're at? I mean, if they have it, that information in their profile, and a lot of them are from Ohio. Okay. Um, a lot of them are from elsewhere too, though. It's so, interesting. To see, yeah.
2: maybe I should do. Maybe I should do the ancestry so I can get that level of detail. I don't know. I also think that maybe we're selling our DNA's. Uh, we're going to find out that was a big mistake, like years yeah, down the yeah. road.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, like maybe.
2: Pe- like people whose DNA profiles might hold some some secret to. Fighting disease, or some secret to you know living longer, or whatever it is, that shit's going to be worth trillions and trillions of dollars. And some people are just giving that shit away right now for a hundred bucks. I'm paying Ancestry.com a hundred bucks
1: to take all my valuable traits. Yeah, I just don't like. What the fuck am I going to do with it? You know, <laughs> like, I'm not going to. I don't know. I'm yeah, not. but
2: it's like it's like when you it's like when you the, the person in Kansas that sells their farm and then finds out there's oil there after they've oh, sold yeah. it. It's like, damn it, man. Or that woman, uh, and I'm gonna butcher this story, but there was a woman, I'm pretty sure she was a, bl- a black woman. I don't I don't know if she was a slave. It might've been after that, but she was like a, um, a poor black woman from the South, I think. And she got some crazy cancer and she died. And they kept a, a, c- cells from her cancer in a Petri dish or whatever. Um, and they have this crazy, um, and I'm gonna butcher this, all the facts of this. Don't fact check this story, but l- do look it up. Um, what, I, can't, I can't remember what was crazy about her cells. I think it was because they didn't die, that you, you've got her cells in this Petri dish that just keep reproducing and living forever, and they still are living, and they're using these cells to, to do all kinds of crazy medical research on cancer and longevity. And um, Point is, her cells had some crazy mutation that nobody's ever seen before that the scientific community was lucky enough to get their hands on and recognize the value and keep it, and they're continuing to learn things to this day that are helping the world, and that poor black lady's family should be compensated for that. You know what I mean? Like, that's valuable, super, super valuable, and we we don't know what kind of crazy shit we have in our DNA that might be valuable, and we're just giving it away. Yeah. Most of our DNA is probably worthless, but some people have a little gem in there. Yeah, like, like the like the people in Northern Europe that that can't the prostitutes that can't get HIV because they got a freaking, you know, crazy tweak on their gene. That's that's valuable, man.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I just like, uh, I guess, in some way, some way in the future, they would have to find a way to like seek that out and pay people for it. But don't yeah. But don't you think they're trying to seeking that out right now? Like the, that's what that's what these research. Yeah, I mean. I think so, but uh, you know, I don't know. It it could be. I I just, uh, I'm just not personally worried about it. Like you know, so this is this is what comes to my mind. You know how like um,
2: so many and all of the chemicals, most. I mean, there's some that were entirely man-made, but the chemical compounds that we've come up with that have become drugs or therapy or whatever toxins or whatever it is, we've. Isolated from plants, from mush, from fungus, from different sorts of things, and you've got all this crazy complexity with chemistry that plants can do over over vast amounts of time because of evolution. They're going to come up with new chemicals to help fight, you know, pests, pests or whatever, and then we we find out uh, you know generations and generations down the road that that chemical can be used to, to, as a medicine or something. So it's like the, this random activity that's going on in uh, in you know plants and f- fungus and all kinds of stuff that it creates, over time, just a complete, like, pharmacopoeia of chemicals that human beings can then tap into and use for all sorts of reasons that they weren't intended for, but it's just like, um, like antibiotics. The way, the way we found out, you know, we could use antibiotics. Uh, that, there's something parallel to our DNA there. Like, there's going to be things in our DNA that evolution has put in there that we can f- we're gonna figure out the value to, and it's gonna have applications. And yeah. that, that shit's going to be valuable. that's all I'm saying.:
1: Yeah, I just think that um, unless you have the means to like uh, what's the word I'm looking for commodify something, then what are you do? What are you going to do with this like, weird thing in your DNA? You know? Um,
2: that's an interesting idea. Commodify. So, so imagine you've got a pool of investments, and some of them are going to be shitty. You, pull them, you bundle them up with a, with a bunch of investments to try to dilute the probability that your shitty ones are going to damage the overall portfolio too much. Imagine you get together with a bunch of people and you say, look, somebody in this group is going to have some valuable DNA. So let's, let's band together. We're going, to, we're going to wrap all of our DNA information into a contract. <laughs> There's some value to be had here. We don't know what that value is. So we're going to sell all of our DNA information to the highest bidder. Why don't we do something like that?
1: It's an inter- interesting idea. I mean, I already sold mine to Ancestry. So. <laughs> <laughs> I already,
2: I already sold mine to National Geographic. So, all right, well, yeah, that's all I have to say about that.
1: About the DNA. Um, yeah, uh, next week or whenever the internet's working again, I will uh, have to look at those traits. They're pretty cool, man. The stuff that they can tell about you, mm. um, like they know that I apparently people liking and not liking the taste of cilantro is down to genetics. Mm. Uh, I love cilantro. Yeah, me too. And they knew that. <laughs> they
2: knew that. Like Profits, man. That is pretty cool that they can predict that, that level of detail. Yep. It's amazing. Pretty neat. Did you see that video? I, maybe this is an old video, but I'm just going to ask you. I saw a video on Twitter of a guy getting bullied and it looked like he might have been in a shopping mall. And you couldn't tell. You could tell they're both guys. It's hard to tell, like, you know, what their ethnicity was or what the situation was. It kind of looked like they were they were in a mall, maybe maybe they were outside of a mall, and the one guy keeps like stepping in front of the other guy and shoving him and getting in his face, and you know, you, it's, there's no audio to the video, so you can't really tell what's going on, but one guy's clearly backing away, backing away, kind of dodging. He doesn't seem to want to engage, and the guy that's being aggressive just keeps coming after him. He wouldn't let it go. Whatever happened, and he took a swing at him and everything, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the guy that was backing away just stops, and Whips around, it kicks this guy right in the face. Oh yeah, and flattens him, and he just falls over. And it was so unexpected, and it was so amazing, man. Yeah, it was so amazing.
1: I did see that video. I think that's a newer video. Okay, all right. Uh, when you were describing it, there's this other video. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. This guy, he's got uh, like a, a tall boy beer can in his back, tucked into his back pocket, and he's talking shit to this guy. Uh, this guy that he's talking shit to has got like grocery bags in his hand. And he's just like, he's obviously not trying to fight this guy, but this guy's getting in his face. And the guy who is uh got the grocery bags and is not really interested in fighting, eventually he's just like, okay, we can, you know. And, like, he starts talking shit back a little bit. And when he feels like the guy is really becoming a threat, he just, like, he beats the shit out of this guy, man. Like, he because punches. The grocery bag guy does? Yeah, he okay. beats the, the, out of the guy who was talking shit with the tall boy in his back pocket. Uh I mean, he, like he punches him a few times and the guy falls down and he like kicks him in the head while he's on the oh. ground. Yeah, it's rough, but I, I honestly feel like the guy deserved it. He oh. was like a um that dude was a piece of shit. He's like trying to start a fight. All right, so yeah, so I'm with
2: you and I would I would agree that I would I would be on the same page as you watching that video, but here's the question. I think this is what separates certain kinds of people. Would you under any circumstances after Getting that guy down and where he was
1: done, he was down. Kick him in the face. Yes. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, uh, I could see myself, depending on the situation, kicking a dude in the head. I'm not going to lie. I mean, after he was incapacitated. Well, it depends on how incapacitated. If I like, I would add insult to injury. I for sure would. (laughs) If the dude is completely on the ground, like, like, completely unconscious, I'm probably not going to kick him in the head. But if the guy he, is, like, obviously not going to fuck me up, like, I've won the fight, yeah. but he's still trying to get back up, yeah, I'll probably kick that dude in the uh, head. Here's a better question.
2: What would he have had to have done It would have to, to get be pretty kicked in the face it after would, he was unconscious? Oh, at, oh oh, you knocked him unconscious and then he gets kicked in the face what would he would he had to, to have do done? something
1: real bad, and I think that I would do that too, I mean, just yeah. to be perfectly honest yeah. with you yeah uh, you know it's like uh you gotta you gotta know what you're capable of, yeah, um, and he, uh he would have – i would do it, but it would have to be something real bad, yeah like yeah. uh. You know, like the stuff we were talking about with the Red Army, like that that kind of stuff, that mm-hmm. kind of dastardly, mm-hmm. I'll fucking torture you, you know, like I'm not going to lie. If you do something terrible to my family and I get my hands on you, you're not in a good situation at that point. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And that's just the God's honest truth. <laughs> Listen, man, while you were, when I asked you the question before you
2: started answering it, I, I sort of felt like, no, I'm not going to kick a guy after he's done just to add insult to injury but as you as you were answering
1: the question i was just more and more on board with with you like i'm not i'm probably not going to do it in most situations i'm not going to get in a fight in most situations you know like uh but if you push me to that point i don't know man i think you kind of deserve whatever you get i mean you know (laughs) yeah so um so when i asked you the question
2: about what somebody would have to do to get you to feel that, that way that's when i that's when i imagined what it would take for me like that's the moment where i was like oh yeah i'm uh, absolutely absolutely um yeah i mean if somebody you know if somebody did something to my children let's just say or tr- or tried to there would be no stopping there would be no stopping me i don't think you know it's like do you remember that scene oh boy there's a couple scenes of, from movies that come in, uh, pop in my head but one of them is uh, you're going to have to help me with the movie it's um gosling in the elevator with that dude He beats that dude's face in. Oh,
1: I know what you're talking about. Driver? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay, yeah. That kind of a thing. Or the the moment from American History X where the guy bites the curb and he makes him bite the curb and he stomps the back of his head in. Like, those are some scenes from movies that obviously had an impact, a long-lasting impact, because I'm describing them in detail right now. I haven't seen those movies in forever. Shockingly violent. And when I think of some somebody doing something to my children, that there are moments where I can see myself in Gosling's body, pounding that guy's face into mush.
1: I don't think they were in an elevator. I know what you're talking about. I think it was like they were in the dressing room of a strip club or something, and the man. guy he I think he took like a hammer or something and just beat the fuck out of this guy's uh, face. Boy, it was that was brutal, man. I haven't thought about that in a long time. And you, but but. You can
2: imagine yourself in that position and under oh, the right yeah. circumstances. So, yeah, I can too. And this is, brings another topic up that I want to ask you about. The fact that we still have that in us, even though we live in this soft world, mm-hmm. this polished, civilized world that, that keeps us from understanding and remembering what our entire historical existence has been like, war and suffering and violence as a necessity and all that, that parts of the world, the civilized world have become soft
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's good to hear that you and I aren't entirely that way even though we live in that part of the world that there's something deep down in us that we'll, that's, st- we still recognize the shadow, we still recognize that, that, that we're capable
1: yeah. of that
2: sort of thing and that, that's humbling and it's necessary to know that about yourself otherwise it's just going come to out, come out you know, when you least expect it
1: and also you run the risk of being in a situation where you need it and it's not there. I mean, oh yes, to act like you don't—it's there for a reason. Yes, you know? yes. So that's that's an important thing, dude. Too. That is such an important point, guys. Yeah, that's. I'm going to repeat that. That is so,
2: so important. When we think about having, this is just a, a memory of a 80s and 90s kids. Will will be able to relate to maybe in the maybe some of the older people as well. The uh, Looney Tunes cartoons, where you have the, the devil on one shoulder and the angel mm-hmm. on the other and then you think about the religious connections to that, you know, d- demons and, and uh, angels, right? The forces of, the embodied forces of good and evil that are working within you and all that. Like those things are real. Those cartoons are telling you something real. Um, and that, that devil is on your shoulder, at, it, at first as a part of yourself that you, can't, that you can't harness. But as you get older and you have experiences and you mature and you recognize that you're the one in charge, then you learn to harness that devil on your, on your right shoulder. And just like you harness the angel on your left shoulder. And they're both, the angel and the devil are both dangerous and valuable. Yeah. Both of them are. But when you learn how to harness that shit, then it becomes a tool. Then it becomes a weapon in your arsenal. That's a real thing. For it sure. sounds like a cartoon, but it's a real thing. It's a great point. Yep. The question I want to ask you is this. If the Western world and the in the civilized world continues to to get soft, like you like we saw in our lifetimes with PC culture and uh, with what's going on now with with the progressive liberal craziness uh, that we're dealing with, um, it just continues to encourage softness. It encourages less self reliance, less violence, less un- unpredictability. <laughs> You know, everybody until, yeah. until everybody is harmonious and uniform and able to be governed by one Which supreme is never authority. Yeah, but that's what that's what seems to be the direction that 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 we're being pulled into. It seems like this is what I want to ask you. I'm sorry about beating around the bush about it. It's like, is there a situation where everybody can get soft enough that we don't have the threat no. of? you know the per- the person breaking the rules taking over the hitler coming in and no, taking over all
1: I, I don't think so I think that you can make it to where you can make the world to where everything is nerfed and everyone's getting getting along for the most part um and maybe maybe like you won't have i don't know violent crimes like in the streets or something I don't even know um but I don't think you'll ever be able to get rid of that shadow in people where they're going to find some way to take advantage of other people you know what I mean I just don't think that you'll ever get rid of that
2: do, do you think that ideological difference that do you think that might be the ideological difference that separates people that think something like communism or a one world government uh, you know the super progressive end game is valuable like the the, the lefty sort of poli- pol- politics that we're hearing today do you think those people can't imagine that with enough Effort and elbow grease that they can't make everybody the right amount of soft to ensure peace and tranquility. Like they're not accounting for the rebel spirit that we can't get rid of. That they're naive in that assumption. Is that? Is that?
1: Would you? Yeah, agree with I think that? that a lot of them are naive. Um, I think that. I think that when you have young people who are leaning towards that progressive stuff, they're naive. That makes perfect sense. When you have older people who are leaning towards that stuff, they're manipulative and conniving and the kind of people that I'm just, like, really not a fan of.
2: I, I couldn't agree with, more with both of those statements. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I have said many times that my naivete has, has been a constant source of frustration for me. And even though I'm old enough to know better, I still fall into that situation. Not as much, but, you know, it's, it burns me all the time. Mm-hmm. When I was young, it was way worse. It was way worse for all the for all the ordinary reasons. I didn't have the life experience. I hadn't been there before. I needed to get burned. I hadn't been burned yet. You know, that, that helps lift some of that naivety. It takes some of the wool from, from over your eyes and lets, lets you see, see things clearly. And those are the people that are the, uh, you know, a big chunk of the liberal, you know, voting block. Yeah. College-age
1: kids that have no life experience. So I do think that there are obviously... There are people who get into older ages and they still believe that stuff, but I still believe that they are naive. Uh, I just think that they haven't bothered to turn over the stones and, like, really figure out what it's about. Um, But that being said, I do think that they're – and I I know that anybody can hijack – well, not anybody – certain people can hijack any kind of like philosophy or ideology. Some people are like really smart and that you give them this ideology and they're going to find ways to like manipulate, you know. Absolutely. That's just how people are. I think uh that that kind of communist it, it like really lends itself to the mm. those kind of people mm. though because Absolutely. they get to have this sheen of I'm just doing this for everyone else, you know. So
2: I made this connection before on the podcast but I want to bring it up again. What you're describing is a survival strategy. It's an evolutionarily developed survival strategy. Some people work hard and earn it, and some people come in and steal it from other people. Mm -hmm. And both strategies have always existed because there are times where one set strategy is successful, and there are times when the other one is. And <coughs> you never know when the environment's going to change and make one of one of those strategies better than the other. So you have to have people adapted to multiple ways of surviving. That's how evolution works. Um, so so you've got like that bird. I, I this is the example I used before. There's a, I can't remember what, what it's called anymore, but the bird that will fly in and lay its eggs in the nest of another bird. Oh
0: yeah.
2: And then that 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 egg is designed to hatch before the other birds and get bigger and then take all the food from the other birds. And those other birds starve and die. And it flies away to, you
1: know, when it gets big enough. You know, a cuckoo clock? Yeah. A cuckoo bird? Yeah. I think that's that bird. Because I think that is the origin of the word cuckold. Oh, shit. I'm I'm like 99% sure that that's the right bird. Our fact checkers. Google that. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. If that's the case. Point is, and just like uh, there's like
2: hunters and scavengers. There's animals that will go out there, do the hard work, and kill the animal. And then there's the hyena that will sneak in and take little bites of meat from the hunter. Yeah. There's always that strategy existing. Mm-hmm. And so as long as those people are the super minority, that's okay. We can't really get rid of them because what happens is... The circumstances are going to change that are going to make the hard workers, you know, obsolete. And the scavengers
1: are going to be the ones that survive,
2: you yeah. know. That's fucked up, but it's necessary. So
1: we have, in, in human society, we have people who steal and we think And, of, and manipulate. Well, we think of people who steal as kind of uh, repulsive, you know. Like, it's not good to steal. In American society, generally, people look at theft as something that is not good. Right. Uh, but then there's all these other types of theft that are like instantiated and like made a part of our society, and it's fine to do that kind of stealing. Um, yeah. Like, like, uh, so, uh, and those people are like thought of highly, you know, a lot of the times. Um, so. Well, that's a good point, man. Because when people think about
2: the the scavengers and the mooches of the human uh, community and the manipulators of the human community, a lot of times your mind goes to like, you know, you know people that s- steal radios from cars or people that steal pills from you or, pe- you know, people that have, that have poverty and drug problems and, uh, you know, the, wor- the worst kind of, of you know, uh, rung of society, that's what people think of. But there's people in the highest rungs of society <coughs> that use the same strategy. You know yep. their targets like, are just way bigger like, than your fucking stereo. Like like politicians that that live very well on their super PAC dollars oh, yeah. that they don't pay taxes on. Like
1: all that insider trading that's going. All on. the insider trading that's going on. I mean, I, exp- I I extend this to beyond politicians. I mean, I kind of think of a lot of bankers that way. Oh yeah. I kind, I think of a, a lot of lawyers that way. People who are making money off of enforcing this bull you know bullshit laws that don't make any sense. Um, How about this example from the um, middle class world? Annuity sales. Oh, yeah.
2: So there are financial advisors that go out and work really hard and put a bunch of time and effort into picking the best portfolios for their clients. And then there are other people that will sell annuities to old old people and get 20% commissions and never think a thing about it. And yeah. it's perfectly legal to That's, do.
0: Yeah.
2: Not good. Th- those are the manipulative, those are the... Those are the, um, so while we're talking about manipulative people, I'm thinking of like the, the TV televangelist type people. Um, that's the same type of personality, the con man. That's the same type of personality sure. as the guy selling annuities to old people. Yep. Those people exist in every class and rung of society. It's amazing. Yep. It's amazing.
1: It, it, it really, they really are everywhere, too. I mean, you think of like a, like a sleazy used car salesman. Yes. You know, they're everywhere. In every industry, they're there. Um, I'm, you know, I've worked for those people, <laughs> you know? Yes. It's like, uh, it's like I, I've had this job in the past where it's like, um, I'm selling things to people, and uh, I have to figure out our cost, okay? Everything, all the costs that we have to put into this project, and then I have to figure out the markup for that. And for a while, it's like they trained me to do things one way. Then, like, you know, things start happening with money in the company. And then it's like, no, we need to start charging these people more. Like, more than is fair, you know? Oh. So it's just like I've seen it happen, you know? It's, I've seen people go from being people who I – they're they're doing it the right way. They're doing it. They're being fair about it. And then, like, like the circumstances mm. change and mm. the person changes, you know? See, that's interesting, too. That's, that makes
2: me think about people – changing strategies from one to the other and i'm trying to imagine because i like to think of people like to think of themselves as upstanding yeah and i kind of everyone i think yeah everyone even the ones that aren't yeah um and i'm so i'm just i'm just wondering like trying to think about times when i was manipulative or times when i was uh uh sneaking in and and you know trying to avoid doing the hard work uh and there's a lot and then there's lots of examples but it's it's not a natural way to think about yourself it's important though I'm just. I'm sitting here brainstorming. There's, you know, there's tons of examples, and I'm like,
1: "No, you're perfect. <laughs> yeah. You're perfect." Yeah. Um, Self knowledge is a valuable thing. Know, you know, know thyself. Who said that? It was
2: carved. It was carved above the um, temple of Apollo at Delphi. It was carved above the yeah temple. Got it. If you were going to see the the seer, the Cirrus, the what do you call her? The
1: I don't know Serious? priestess. Priestess. Is that what they called her. I don't know.
2: I don't know. All right, so we did DNA. We did DNA. Oh. All right, so I went to uh, Walt Disney World with the kids. Yeah. So I'll tell you a little bit about my Walt Disney World experience if you want to hear it. I do. All right, so I went. Uh, I never got to go growing up because we didn't have a lot of money. We weren't going to the Disney World. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we weren't. It's a lot more
1: expensive now from what I understand. Oh, man,
2: it's ridiculous. So I went, uh, when my oldest daughter, before my youngest daughter was born, we went with, with her to Magic Kingdom. And that's the place with the Cinderella Castle. It's the place full of all the characters. It's the place where you imagine you should take a young kid that they're going to see all the stuff that you want them to see. But there are more more parks than just Magic Kingdom. You know, there's Epcot Center. There's Hollywood Studios. There's a bunch of different places you can go. So uh, we went to Magic Kingdom the first time. And it was not a good experience for me. Um, Well, (laughs) it was very, very busy. I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder in this huge place. It's like imagine being in the the mosh pit of a really packed concert times the warp Tour. Like just just shoulder to shoulder with 100,000 people everywhere you go. You know, you're know, you like popping in and out of stores you're trying to keep track of the kid. you don't want to lose the kid and they can easily get, get lost in this ocean of people yeah. and kids are unpredictable they want to run away so I, I'm like on high alert the whole time I'm there plus it's fucking hot man Florida hot and you can't do anything so many people are there that the lines for everything is an hour and a half and you've got a kid you got to stand in line with a kid for an hour and a half in a, while it's super hot it's like good luck it's miserable. It's absolutely miserable. The kids are too young to know it's miserable, and they see Dumbo, and they see a couple of stuffed, you know, people in stuffed costumes, and they, maybe they remember those things. It's, it's seen, it makes an impact on them. They're, they're amazed by it, and yeah. it, it makes up for all the bullshit. Not for me, man. Yeah. Not for me. So this time around, it's like, oh, we're going with two kids. We're gonna, it's going to be double. The whole thing's going to be double. So here's what we did differently. We didn't go to Magic Kingdom. We went to Epcot Center, and we went uh, on a the, like, non-peak time. We went during a time when it was not going to be nearly as busy. We also stayed in the resort, which will let you get into the, uh, the uh, parks like half hour early. So if there was something the kids wanted to do really badly, like the Anna and Elsa ride, you know how popular that shit is right yeah, now. Yeah. It's like we get in a half hour early. We book it. We go first thing. We book it to the ride. We waited 20 minutes. We got we got on. So there was that. (coughs) But the other thing was, it wasn't nearly as busy as at Epcot because everybody thinks what I thought the first time. Everybody wants to go to take their kids to Magic Kingdom. Uh, If dude, if you don't have like you you, make reservations for everything there. Like if you want your kids to have a picture with Jasmine, you have to schedule it. You have to you have to get on the app and schedule it. If you want if you want to go to dinner or lunch, you got to schedule it. There's no room for you. If you didn't Plan ahead, you were fucked. You were gonna starve in Disney if you didn't plan ahead. So I didn't know any of that the first time. We knew that this time, so we all had our we had our dinners and lunches and shit scheduled out. We ended up having some cloudy days, so it wasn't like really miserable hot. Um, but it, but the biggest difference was going to Epcot. So if you if you've heard it described before, I not really. I, I knew about the big ball, the yeah. big, But that's all I knew. I didn't know what the fuck Epcot was. So you go to Epcot and it's like.
1: World of the future,
2: uh, yeah, that's there, but we didn't even see it. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it's it's like a, a big cul-de-sac. It's like a big loop around a lake, and it's broken up into sections, and each section represents a different part of the world. And whatever Disney characters are from that you know part of the world ish, they'll put that princess there. And rather than having to make appointments to go see these princesses, they were <coughs> they were just there, and we got to see all the girls got to see all of them that they wanted to. They got to ride, you know, like, f- we got to ride, like, four or five rides, which over two days doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a lot there. Um, and we got to try a bunch of food. It, all the, Like, you know, you go to the Morocco place, and you get Mediterranean food, and you see Princess Jasmine. You go to the French land, you eat escargot, you see Princess Belle. And that's what we fucking did, man. Yeah. Uh, but there's also alcohol everywhere, everywhere.
1: That's a plus.
2: So we just had a drink in our hand, you know, regularly while we were there and you're not driving anywhere and you know as long as you stay responsible for the kids the adults are having a good time hell yeah so all (laughs) of that made it way better for me what were you drinking um i I drank lots man um, when i was in the asian section when we went into like the i think it was the china the china section because there's a japan separate from the china uh i had a jasmine draft beer it was just like a light it was like a light kind of pelsnery beer with like a jasmine flavor to it it was subtle it was nice had that Uh, maybe i had a margarita or two hell yeah Uh, dude when i got there when i got to the uh resort um there's like a, a pool there's a bunch of pools there and there's like a little uh shack where you can buy food and i was telling jessica i was like man we're here in florida the seafood's probably really good It would be really nice to have like a seafood roll you know, like a seafood salad sandwich or a seafood roll or something. And uh, they had they had seafood rolls at this little shack as soon as we got in. I was like, yes, sir, give me a seafood. And it was delicious, man. It was like shrimp and scallops and uh, some kind of fake crab meat or something. But it was delicious, man.
1: Yeah. I went to Florida, oh, man, last year. I don't remember what month it was, but we went down there, and we went to Joe's Crab Shack. Yeah. It was fucking good, man. You know, just the, the, the proximity to the ocean. Yeah. Even if it's not it's Joe's Crab Shack, it's, it's not like it's the fanciest yeah. place yeah. in the world, but it was still really good.
2: You know, a place I went to uh, that we don't have here, um, usually in touristy areas, is... Um,
1: Long John Silver's. <laughs>
2: no. The one that's themed, themed after um, Forrest Gump. Uh, Bubba. Yeah, Bubba, Sh- Bubba yeah. Gump Shrimp. That was pretty good, man. Bubblegum. Nice. I never. Where was that at? Um, I went in Tennessee, but I think Tennessee. they. Tennessee. Yeah, oh, I think, they're
1: multiple places.
2: Yeah, I think they're multiple places, but they're uh-huh. mostly down down there. Okay. Um. Oh yeah, another thing that was funny when we were at Disney, we we're standing standing in one line waiting for Anna and Elsa to to come out, and um, there was a woman there from England because you know people come from all over, obviously. And uh, she had a little girl, oh, this little cute little girl. Because I have daughters, you know, and their voices are so cute when they're little. And this girl was just like that, but she was English, you know. It was so adorable this little English accent on this girl. And uh, her mom, we got to talking to her mom, and her mom was like, well, "You know, when you first come in here over the bridge, you, you're in England. That's the part of the world you're in. And there's a fish and chips restaurant that, oh, yeah. you know, right there when you walk in." And she's like, "Don't, don't eat the fish and chips at that <laughs> restaurant." She's like, "They're, they're terrible. They're not good." She, like, she was offended. She was warning us. We we weren't even near that restaurant. She yeah, was yeah, yeah. she was warning us like that's not representative of fish and chips <laughs> from
1: England. Don't eat there. Yeah, if the British are saying that, that's pretty bad because they're not a, uh, not they don't have a reputation for their food over there. Uh-uh. Although I think I th- they got a few chefs over there now. Yeah, what's uh who's the angry dude? What's his name? Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> that's it. Then oh.
2: They, we ate. We ate at the Wolfgang Puck restaurant there. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, it's, you know, I don't really know who Wolfgang. It's like Wolf the King most punk corporate is. chef. You punk. said punk. <laughs> Wolfgang Punk. Wolfgang sounds even
1: better. That's a that's a name for a guy in a punk band for sure.
2: Yep. Yep. Uh, it was good, it was decent though. We got a uh, pizza there that had um, smoked salmon on it and like uh, green onions. It was really pretty good. Sweet. Yeah. Love good food. So whilst we were in Florida. Um oh I wanted to tell you when we were in the Anna and Elsa section it's Norway so that's that's the the Norway section of uh, Epcot they have um like little restaurants and little one of these places is like a small little museum kind of and it had these they were demonstrating like Scandinavian wood carving and so you go inside this building and it's like these pillars on each side of the pillar is a different god or goddess carved into it and Freya was one of them and you know my, my oldest daughter's name is Freya, so she was she loved that. She yeah. went to get her pictures with Freya, and you could see that Freya in the runes. So in the runic language inscribed above the statue, and I it just made me think of you because of all the interest in, in yeah, yeah. Uh, Vikings lately.
1: That's cool that she was that she saw that. That's awesome. Oh,
2: it was awesome, man! And they did have some actual artifacts around. Yeah, um, Viking artifacts, and uh, the, the, I sent you a picture of this, like tapestry type thing yeah. of Yggdrasil of the of yeah, the, the, the world tree um, and that was the first time I'd ever seen it like that I, I read it in the the, myth, the myths and I actually sketch, sketched it out in my sketchbook so oh, I could really? imagine what it would look like when I was a teenager but this was like plotted out in this geometric design and it looked just like um, the Kabbalah the, the, the tree of life in the, Kabbalah, in the Jewish Kabbalah it was the same pattern you know was really interesting that is interesting. it was fucking cool man then the norway section was cool you would have loved it yeah yeah
1: five percent baby <laughs> <laughs> um uh, yeah that's cool i mean that trip it's uh it's like a an experience for them you know for the kids oh absolutely That's like something they're gonna remember for sure oh absolutely F- four to five rides though that's it that was it yeah that's fucking crazy dude yep but like, like, you go to Cedar Point, you ride every fucking roller coaster there in a day, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, you might have to wait. You're going to do some waiting, but... Yeah,
2: yeah. It's true. Um, but you know what? It's, it just didn't seem as bad. It, it was pretty good, and we had a pretty good time there.
0: Yeah. And
2: we only, you know, we were staying close to the, resort, uh, to the park, rather. We could have walked to it. When we went the first time, we had, to take a, we had to take a bus in.
1: I guess it's cool that there's a lot more to it than the rides, yes. you know? That's yep. pretty sweet. It was cool, man. Did you go to the Harry Potter
2: world? No, it's a different park, unfortunately. Oh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's a different park. We were going to go to uh, the second day, we were going to go to Hollywood Studios because we wanted to see the Star Wars stuff.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, somebody on the first day told us that they went there the prior day and that it was terrible. Really? <laughs> They're like, it was so busy because Star Wars has become such a big mm-hmm. thing now with Disney. It was so busy, it was completely unacceptable.
1: Unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Although I don't really give a fuck about Star Wars, yeah,
2: I would have been cool to like go have a drink in the cantina and see because they do such so, a such a good job with the sets. That's yeah. the that's the whole point, you know. Like this is a funny story. It's, I, I laugh because I want to be embarrassed by it, but I'm not. So I'm just gonna tell a story. When I went to Magic Kingdom with uh, with my oldest daughter, and you walk in like right in the middle is Cinderella's castle. You know the same one you see in the Disney commercials, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's like in real life. It's Stunning, dude. Yeah. I'm standing there looking at it like I'm looking at the Taj Mahal. It's fucking stunning. It's one of the wonders of the world. It, I, I, that's I, awesome. I say that. I say that, but I've never been to England. I've never seen like an actual castle or the ruin of a castle on a, on Dunshire Hill and you know whatever. Yeah. I have never yeah. seen that shit. I'm sure that's way more impressive. But I was standing there in front of Cinderella's castle, looking up at it, and I was just like, God damn, it's impressive, man. That is cool. But Epcot's like that. It's like every everything is like in the in the Japanese section they have this Shinto shrine you know just stacked up and everything's painted dude in the Mexico section there's a restaurant there's a ride inside this restaurant when you walk in it's like this warehouse sized restaurant and none of the lights are on it's it, it's pitch black but they have these they have these um uh like lanterns that are strung up on on you know uh posts that go along and around. So it's like you're in Mexico at night, and it's just being lit by these lanterns wherever you are. And in the distance, you see this Mayan temple at the other side of the restaurant. In the distance, this fucking Mayan temple with a volcano behind it smoking, you know? And it's dark, so it, the illusion is so much better because you can't see it very well. It looks so good, man. That's cool as hell. Um, it was imp- I was impressed with it, man. Yeah. Lots, lots of parts of it.
1: You know, they have a place like that uh, where you can go to different places and see different cultures throughout the world. They have one of those places in China, yeah. and I would love to see that. Just like, <laughs> what does what the America section look like oh, in that Oh, yeah, part? that's funny. I would love to see it. I don't think I ever will, though. So they they do
2: have an American section in, in Epcot and a Canadian section. Oh yeah. And I had zero desire to do either of those things. Uh, like, w- what are you going to see there? What are you going to see there?
1: I, I guess I would just want to see like what they have decided to encapsulate mm-hmm. American culture yeah. as. You know. Well, with the Canadian side, it was it was hockey and mooses, and uh, it was
2: really stereotypical. And a whole bunch of brutal authoritarianism. Uh, too. Apparently so. Yep. God damn Trudeau, man.
1: Yeah. Do you uh, see any of that footage? Yeah. Of people getting run over by
2: horses and yeah, shit. Yeah, man, it's really sad. It's fucked up. I've been saying this for a while. This goes back to the theme, one of the themes of our podcast: mm-hmm. maniacal arrogance. Um, because Trudeau, I, I, I get the sense that he he feels like he can't backtrack. He's he came out and said things too strongly. He assumed that he was going to be able to manipulate. The, the Canadian people, if not the world, by controlling the narrative on the media and saying the thing, condemning them like the way he did so strongly. He thought he was gonna like, he was gonna like put the kibosh on any of the uh, uh, um, support, the public support for it, and it didn't work. Like it worked, it worked to a certain degree when they did that with Trump. They just buried him with, with you know, uh, just controlling the narrative. Just buried him, and he he tried to do that, and it didn't it didn't work. And when it didn't work, he just like doubled down on. It. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? And now, he's sending armed policemen on horseback to trample protesters and break up. And dude, I saw. Did you see the video of um, like some people brought their RVs down and their and their cars down and they parked parked with these truckers. They were using one of those battering rams like you would use to bust open a door on an RV. Yeah. And they've arrested. I saw an article this morning that said 47 people, but I don't know, you know, if it's more than that. Probably it is. But yeah. they're arresting people. They've already seized money from people's bank accounts. Um, I mean, that's the most authoritarian shit. That's what happened in World War II when Hitler threw the Jews out, seized their businesses and bank accounts mm-hmm. so he could fund the war with it. That's that's the last time
1: in history I can recall something like this happening. It's dark stuff man it's uh really it's like shocking you know it's shocking
2: it's, um, and this is a this is a point in time for people to pay attention pay attention to what's going on because if this if this works and trudeau gets away with it, that sets a precedent for the entire rest of the western world that that a democratic um e- elected uh executive can arbitrarily and single-handedly do whatever they want, including quashing resistance from their own people, Incl- yeah. including taking away their basic rights that are guaranteed under the government. I mean, you have the leader of a, of a government throwing away your your rights that are lawful and doing whatever he wants.
1: What in the fuck? And that's not happening in the third world. That's happening in Canada. Canada, the nice country. You know, the the country where everyone talks about how nice they are um yeah it's uh it's very disappointing um you, i do like i'm really curious to see how it pans out because i mean judging by the way they reacted to the the vaccine mandates with this protest, I have to imagine that that's just gonna piss more people off you know but I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully it does. I-, I hope that's what happens. This
2: either wakes up the world and you see more resistance from the common people to authoritarianism, or it reveals, like we were saying before, the softness that, that the West has become to not stick up for ourselves even when our basic rights are being taken away, that when it's happening in a, fo- in a foreign country, that we can all just brush it off and pretend that it's not coming our way. If we're, if we're in that predicament and we just let it happen, then we deserve it. And yeah. that's what scares me because I don't, I don't know if the rest of the world is going to see this as a sign and, and realize that, they, they, that this particular straw cannot be removed. This, this particular Jenga block cannot be removed. Um, you know, this is, a, this is a life or death situation for the West. It is, man. Yeah. Because if it works, there are other countries that are going to do it, probably our own. If it doesn't work, that sends a message to the rest of the of the would-be di- dictators, you know, in sheep's clothing and these socialist democracies and other Western countries, um, because they're there, man.
1: Yeah. You know what's really fucked up is uh, just the media running cover for it. I'm sure you've seen and heard about uh, all the white supremacists and Nazis who were there. Yeah. And, and it's like... Um, like that's, yeah, I'm, maybe there are some there. Who knows? Maybe there the, probably are. There's probably a racist guy in there somewhere, you yeah. know? Um, but, like, that makes it okay that they, like, trampled an old lady in a fucking wheelchair yeah, with a scoot, horse? Yeah, scooter,
0: yeah, Holy yeah. shit, man. Yeah. Like,
1: that makes that okay? Um, I don't even think that you should trample the racist with the horse, you know? Like, I don't think that that's okay. It's not okay. Um, and, yeah, just, yeah, that running that type of a story, and like, you know, saying that the... Something that they say all the time about the Muslims in the Middle East is that they will put human uh, children, they'll use children as human shields, and maybe there is some truth to that. Uh, I'm sure that some super fucking evil people have done that, Uh, but again, does that like justify... Like dropping a bomb on an apartment building because you want to kill one guy. No. Um, yeah. No. So uh, it's like I don't know. I just think it's the same thing. They've been saying that they've been doing that, and I haven't seen any evidence that that's the truth of like putting the kids in front of the horses. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember that there were kids at the protest. Sure. Listen, if you're but that's not the same thing. The only people that could believe that somebody would use kids
2: to protect themselves is someone who doesn't have kids. Yeah. Now. You would never, as a parent, you would never, ever, ever do that. That doesn't mean that there's not some young, naive kid that, that's using somebody else's child to protect themselves. I can imagine some evil, you know, undeveloped uh, human being ma- making a terrible decision like that. But a parent is certainly not holding their kid at that, their yeah. side as a shield. It's the opposite way around,
1: Yeah.
2: you know? Also, the Wall Street Journal said that Trudeau crossed a democratic line. The Wall Street Journal said that.
1: All right, well, that's something I I, guess. That's something. Yeah. Fuck
2: that guy, man. Fuck that guy.
1: I I cannot stand that. That's the that's
2: the maniacal arrogance that Trudeau is demonstrating that. You know, in full effect right now, he believes he's right. He believes that he represents the correct opinion, even if it's not his people's opinion.
1: He's particularly, like, I think, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hubris you yeah. know yeah. he's got a a a high level of that because of his circumstance in the world he's the prime minister of canada he's also the son of the prime minister of canada and um probably got a dick like a police baton maybe i don't know um i i hope not but he uh but i just think he comes from a world of privilege and a world where And and I mean, if I'm talking about privilege, that's not something that I, you know, like uh, I I wouldn't I'm not the type of person who's going to talk about your white privilege or something like that. But Justin Trudeau has clearly lived a privileged life. Clearly. Um, And I don't think that's uh, that's not a bad thing to point out, because he feels entitled and is raised by people who feel entitled and influenced by people who feel entitled to plan the rest of the world's lives out for them. Mm. Um, so, nah. so, so somebody in that
2: position may, always makes me think of the argument of determinism. And I talked about this on, a, on a, one of my solo podcasts recently. So there's an argument that determinists make that say uh, people's uh, nurture, basically, the nurture side of their nature, nurture, is so powerful that it takes away their free will. That if somebody grows up privileged in and all, and all manners that uh, you, know, you can think of, Somebody that didn't have to work you know for things, somebody that didn't suffer the same kind of consequences because daddy swept everything under the rug, somebody who where doors were never locked for them or were always you know flung wide open, that people who live that pri- privileged kind of life that they don't, they don't know what it's like to live in the real world. they don't know what it's like to suffer consequences, to bear responsibility to, to legitimately be you know self-reliant, and self-sufficient they, they've never had to yeah. um, somebody like that. Cannot be expected to act morally, because they couldn't—they weren't trained to to do that, right? It's like they couldn't possibly act any other way than what Trudeau, how Trudeau was acting. So there, there's an argument there that says because he was raised that way, how could you how could you expect anything differently? And I think. I don't agree with the argument of de- of determinism, but it's powerful. You can see it makes a lot of sense, and it does play some role.
1: Yeah, for sure. And
2: I definitely see that in, in this, how, it, how it's, this is playing out with Justin Trudeau. Um, and I, it's, it's an argument against a ruling class. It's an argument against the system that Canada has, but we also
1: have. You talking about determinism makes me think of uh, Sam Harris, and that reminds me of... Um, you know, Did did Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris talk again recently? Do you know? I don't know. Because I think they might have, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure on that. Yeah. But I thought I saw a new conversation between them. Yeah. Um, but it just made me think that uh, Jordan Peterson has been very... oh, that He's been on fire with talking shit to Trudeau, man. <laughs> Absolutely. He's been really laying into that guy. For all the same reasons that I got a little bit
2: passionate about a moment ago, that he sees it as a life and death decision for the Western world. Yeah. He said, if this uh, piece is allowed to fall, if Trudeau is allowed to get away with what he's doing, that, that we're doomed. We're doomed. It's, it's going to trigger a uh, chain reaction. It's going to open up the door for other dictators to, to do exactly what he's doing, to take away basic rights of their citizens, to override the law. To you know, uh, It's just going to. It, it's going to create existential risk to Western culture.
1: If America, if the United States of America worked the way that we're like build, as it working? You would almost be like, man, I'm glad we've got this doddering old fuck in the White House who's not, you know. But I mean, I really don't. I don't think that that's the truth. I think that he's got a whole team of people. Yeah, see, if it was if it was up to him, I would agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although maybe not. Maybe he'd be like, uh, you know, maybe he his uh, his Alzheimer's and dementia would make him more aggressive. I guess that's a possibility. You do hear you do oh. hear about that. Cranky-ass Alzheimer's people. That's true. Um, did you see the story about the woman?
2: She had some kind of altercation with security on a cruise ship.
0: Mm-mm.
2: And she jumped off of the cruise ship. Oh, shit. After an altercation with security, 150 miles off the coast. Wow. And nobody could find her. Oh, they sent shit. ships down there to rescue her, and nobody could find her. Oh, They searched, shit. like, 1,500 miles of ocean. So I'm sorry to change the subject but that I just, is uh that's terrifying. I, and I don't know the details. That's the thing. I have to leave the whole audience scratching their head like why did he just bring that up? Uh, yeah. Why did this lady get in an altercation with security in the yeah. first place? Why did she think it was necessary to to get free of that situation by jumping probably 3 stories off of a I don't know how tall they are. They're fucking big, man. Yeah. Into the open ocean, 150 miles offshore. That's like a.
1: That's like one of my biggest nightmares, man. <laughs> oh, like just the open ocean. Oh God, man. it's that's so, so scary.
2: I've told uh, I told you the story about. I don't even swimming. like being
1: in swimming pools in the dark, man. <laughs> 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 what were you gonna say?
2: Oh, this the story about me um, on my honeymoon when I went to Jamaica, and I was snorkeling and I'd never been before.
0: Oh yeah.
2: Uh, first of all, jumping in the water snorkeling, um, I had to like. My heart was racing, kind of like being in the ocean, just even when it was when I was before I was even doing any physical activity. Ah. My heart was racing and I had to kind of like relax. It took me a minute, so I kind of relaxed and then I could then I got the hang of it, you know. Uh, once I got my heart rate, my breathing down, um, but then I went snorkeling and I'm like three feet above this coral reef and it's beautiful, it's cool. Mm-hmm. And I figured out how to breathe better and I'm getting the hang of it. And then after a few minutes of swimming around, the coral reef just Drops us straight down into the abyss of hell, and right so right before I got all, I got into the water, the guy says don't touch anything in the coral reef because some things will touch you back that that was his warning that was his only warning to us, so I was trying to be really careful to like not let my foot or knee or anything touch anything I don't, you know whatever I was like, yeah. being a bitch <laughs> uh, and'm was... and I'm, so i'm swimming and and looking and all of a sudden all these colorful you know stones and and Coral and stuff are just gone, and it's black. It's it's straight down as far as you can see. The water goes from crystal clear
1: blue to this foggy no, green no. to gray to black. Get me the fuck out of here, <laughs> dude. That is not for me.
2: It's like you jumped off a cliff in a, in a Looney Tunes cartoon and you just froze for a second because I'm in water, right? That's how I feel. I'm just frozen in midair, looking down at certain doom, and there and I, it's so big. It's so fucking the ocean is so big, man. Yeah. When you see how deep it is, nope. it's the most terrifying feeling. Because you feel like you, you could you're gonna get swallowed up by it. And that feeling reminds me of the blast-off psychedelic experience. When you and I talk about how scared yeah you know, especially with DMT, yeah. how scared you are going into that, your palms are sweaty, your heart's racing. That's how I felt looking into the abyss. It's something about being swallowed up, and it's, it's like a f- fear of dying. That's that ego death thing. But it's, I just think it's funny that those two experiences elicit the same reaction.
1: Yeah. It's terrifying, man. Imagine being the type of person who, like, gets on the scuba gear and goes into that, you know? That's so brave, man. Man. That is so brave. Fucking terrifying. I kind of want to do it now just to prove to myself. There is something about it that, like, um, that makes you want to, you know? Like, uh, well, it's like I'm afraid of it, but I could, like, make myself not be afraid of it, you know?
2: Yeah, I think it's good to know that. Yeah. uh, But it's also good to practice it from time to time so you know you're not just fooling yourself, you know? Yeah. But I definitely feel exactly that. I feel like that would be terrifying and I would be shit scared. And I also want to do it just just to prove to myself that you know it's not as bad as i think it is just to just to grow you know sure like jordan peterson says you got to face that dragon
1: you gotta start scuba diving man send me that's so <laughs> scary <laughs> i would uh, scuba dive i i, I wouldn't go scuba diving in lake Erie just to see what's down there oh you know? man yeah we probably that could that would be scary to me too it would though, be to be honest yeah with
2: we'd have to have the whole the whole gear you know learn how to how to not get the bit the
1: bins or whatever they call it i swim well but water just big things of water scares me man i just don't like it what do you think it is you think it's uh i think it's the i mean exactly what you were talking yeah,
2: about me you too, yeah me too man all right so i uh when we were in florida i got to see uh our buddy Mejdi. shout out to Mejdi. oh yeah so for the, for the podcast audience um who maybe has who Maybe would remember a few references uh over the last year on the podcast Mejdi was a buddy of mine that uh i used to used to live nearby and uh he was the he was from from uh, Jordan. his family and uh he married a girl here <coughs> in, the, in the states so yeah he basically taught me uh lots of interesting stuff about their culture and where
1: was his wife from do you know was she also from jordan
2: uh her i think her family was yeah okay. yeah yeah but she was american you know yeah, she yeah. was born here and um it was just a really interesting because you know what I was telling Jessica this that uh, uh, when it, when we met it wasn't that long after 9 11 and like the hostility to the Muslim community in the United States at large was still pretty high you know um, just because of what happened in the time uh, I, I don't know like uh, how that impacted their ability to like make friends or whatever but I imagine it must have played some role and uh, um, that was the same time that we met so. Um, I, and I just felt like I bonded with him uh, over the cultural differences because both of us found it interesting and we, you know uh I don't know man I just uh, I had a really good time with him and, and learning all that new stuff
1: yeah and i haven't seen him in like 8 years well, i remember that like Mejdi was not um he was like he was a nuanced smart guy you know like oh, he was a um you know like he didn't have the opinions that uh like all of the opinions that you would assume that he would have, you know, like um like for that time in 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 history, you know, there's like a kind of a this side, that side. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, and he didn't fit neatly into his supposed side. It's true. It's Um, very true. Yeah. I would like to talk to Mejdi now that I know more stuff and knowing that he's from Jordan about like how he feels about like you know, the Jordan has a king and they're from a clan called the Hashemites and those people were put into power in Jordan by the CIA basically. Oh shit. Yeah, so um I would just like to know how how Mejdi feels about that, you know, like if he even knows, you know. That's a good question. Um he's got an interesting perspective on
2: all that stuff and uh it's it's been a real insight to have someone like that that I could that I could talk to openly about, especially back then. Um you know, we we talked about but I didn't have that level of knowledge to be able to ask really good questions back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're right, there, there's probably... I, I did ask him about Hamas and some some stuff like that, but I didn't know enough. We, we'd, we'd probably have a, a more interesting conversation today than, you know, we did yeah. back then.
1: Yeah, I mean, Hamas, they're the ones who were in control in Palestine, right? Yep. Okay. I always kind of mix up Hamas and the Taliban. The Taliban, who's in back in charge in Afghanistan. Right, now. yes, yeah. You no. Know, so... When we were in Afghanistan, the Afghanis that we were allied with were notorious boy rapers what? did you know no, you didn't know about uh-uh. that yeah it's uh was happening tons. There was a uh soldier who heard a boy getting raped and beat the fuck uh, well actually, I don't know maybe I'm embellishing the story. maybe I'm adding what I wanted to happen Yeah, go
2: ahead and do that um uh, that,
1: that but so, but either he beat the shit out of this guy or he got the guy in trouble. Uh, or tried to, anyways. And they said, no, that's a cultural custom here. There's a word for it. Like, oh, there's geez. a, it's literally, there's a word for it. It is a cultural thing there. Um, so they knew that it was happening, that it was happening tons, and we weren't allowed to stop it at all. And the hmm. Taliban comes in. The Taliban stops it. The Taliban was recruiting people away from their side when we were there by saying, we won't let that happen to you. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Um, it's fucked up, man. That's a, so I don't the, even remember why I brought that up. It's just something that I found out. Re- I mean, I knew that that was happening over there. I didn't know that the Taliban was like, uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying that they're good. I'm not saying that like all of their policies are really good. But that one's pretty good. I like that. Um, oh, it's because we were talking about um, Hamas.
2: Yeah, yeah. So the thing the thing that I remember hearing about Hamas that I didn't know, and, and maybe this is information that is more common knowledge than I think it is, but I didn't know um you hear about them in the United States as a terrorist group that's that's the way you hear about them yeah um but when you but when you hear hear the other side of the story what you find out is that they don't not everybody looks at them as a terrorist group yeah and the reason is because they do things like build schools for kids yeah it's like okay well they're winning over hearts and minds now is it like um like Escobar, where he was like giving money away to the poor, like Robin Hood, and all the the common people loved him, so that he could get away with doing his his naughty things. Is that is that what's happening here? They're building schools as a as a mea culpa for all the terrorism that they're doing.
1: Like I don't know, but you you don't hear both sides of the story. What's the so talking about? This is a great way of like so Hamas is doing that. We look at them as a terrorist organization. Uh, they over there look at them as something different. And you think about if if a government ceased to exist who would be in charge it would be like the mob it would be gangs it would yep. be people who had resources and people who could make things happen it would be the mob
2: organized community equals mob
1: no uh no i'm saying that uh if if a people need services and those services can't be provided by Basically, what I'm getting at is that the government is the mob. Like, that is yeah, what, yeah. It, I mean, they are, it, when you when you make that void happen, it gets filled in by the mob. And it, the government is just a mob that has yeah. been rubber stamped. I mean, yeah, it's... No. The exact same thing. You're, you're right. You're the American right. government is not different from Hamas. Well, like you're, you said, that they are building schools to, to make up for the terrible things that they're doing. No, that's that's what we're doing. That's interesting. That's interesting. There's uh, no holy,
2: difference. That's an interesting way of putting it, man. So if you don't if you don't pay the mob, then they they come to your door with a gun. If you don't pay the government, they come to your door with a gun. If you if you don't pay the mob, they'll take your shit. If you don't pay the government, they'll take your shit. Um, and they're, and they're, that goes that goes, for our government as well, 100%. Yeah. And what we get in return is, if you're the mob, it's protection. Well, what do you call that? The police force? The fire department? That's an interesting analogy, man. Golly. Yeah. Oh, boy. There's some truth in that. For sure. Jesus. Jesus. And we elect them. Yeah. You know, we're like, we're going
1: to, we want that. Yeah, well, we do want it. I mean, a lot of people do. Yeah, people want the perks, anyways. I want the perks. Yeah, I just think that we could get them other ways. That was like the first year of this podcast, though. Yeah.
0: So.
2: <laughs> so anyway, I got to see Mesudi while I was down there because he moved down there and started a few businesses and seems to be doing well. Uh, it was really great to see him. I wish I could have spent a little more time with him, uh, but under the circumstances, we didn't have much time. Uh, we just had lunch together, but I had a question for him that I wanted. To, you know, we were just mostly catching up, but I had a question for him which was uh, from the Muslim perspective like he's somebody that I've asked all those embarrassing questions to that you think you should know so you don't ever ask like what's the difference between a Sunni Sunni and a Shia um, he, you know he would tell me we'd have open conversations about about Islam about stuff that like you remember when uh, after 9/11 how Sharia Sharia law was a, <coughs> was a, a big talking point in uh, in, in the media Um, To get a perspective from an insider as to what that means and the pros and cons and stuff It's like a whole different. You're not getting that in the news. You're not getting that at all So I, I was appreciated that so I had a question for him since I've been doing the podcast since I've had that mystic experience and I've been Obsessed with certain topics One of the areas is the Sufi So the Sufi are at one of those branches of Islam that people don't know about. Some, some people know about the Sunni and the Shia because they know that they kind of fight among one another and that they represent sort of different geographical parts of the world. The Shia are mostly you know, from Iran and all that sort of thing. Um, so I, I, I didn't know about the Sufi. What I did know is that they're mystical. So I'm like, okay, mystical like I'm mystical, but they're Muslims, Like How does that work? What does that mean? Like I I just wanted a perspective from an insider. Now I figured because Sufis are a very, very small minority and they're kind of hated on by the Sunni and the Shia because they believe things a little different from the rest of the Muslims, they don't fall into the the correct boxes, so they're like the redheaded stepchildren of the Muslim world. Um, I wanted to know what his opinion was of the Sufi, so I asked him. And his answer to me, he basically said, look, I don't study that stuff. I don't know any Sufi people, so you probably know more than I do, but he just told me what he knew, and it was interesting, because this is what he told me. He said he, said he thinks, and, and it's, it's funny, because his explanation of what a Sufi is is sort of, is sort of like the, the reason, it's explaining the reason why they're redheaded stepchildren. He, he didn't tell me what he knew about the Sufi practices or religion at all. He told me what was wrong about it. But not, and not, you know. I'll just tell you what he said. He said that um, that the Sufi that, that, that they run into the same kind of a problem that Christians do with Jesus. That they that they put Muhammad in a in a position um, where he's almost worshipped, which is something that they're not supposed to do. You know, that's uh, only Allah can be can be worshipped. You know, no no graven images. It's all that stuff's really important in Islam. So if you have a group of them that are starting to elevate Muhammad to the level of a god, the way that he sees Christians elevating Jesus to the level of a god, that that's a mistake. The Muslims point that out with Christians, like, hey, you're not supposed to do that, that's a mistake. And here, inside the Muslim world, you have a group of people that are kind of seeming to, to have, seeming to be guilty of that sin or a little bit more than they're supposed to. So that's what he points out. And this is what I gathered from that. Um, it didn't really explain to me what That they like why they're mystical. What it is that they believe that's mystical. Um, But this is kind of what what made sense to me. Um, They raise up Muhammad to the level of God, the way Christians raise Jesus up. They look at, you know, the goal of their spiritual practice, becoming God-like, becoming Christ-like in the Christian sense, becoming Muhammad-like. So something like that, and it allows them to to feel that they can become Muhammad. Just like Christians say, we could okay. we could become Jesus, and I think I think that that was his way of explaining the mystic part of it that that a Sufi believes they can become God. Okay. You know. Yeah. So uh, I'm reading into that a little bit, but I just thought it was interesting to hear his perspective and try to piece together, you know, what you know what they think on the outside, but but way closer than I am, you know.
1: Yeah. I've always kind of, well, not always, but I guess in the past few years, uh, kind of thought that that was the point of Jesus, is that uh, a human can become God. Yes. A human can be God, too.
2: Yes. So That's exactly it, man. That's exactly it.
1: And I know a lot of Christians would disagree with that completely, but, you know...
2: They, yeah, they say that, but then they're yeah they're, then tellin- they're talking then they're, about the Holy Spirit mm. and they're yeah, they're talking about the Holy Spirit filling you yeah. they're asked they're telling you to be Christ-like mm. and they're telling you to eat the body and blood of Christ so that you can absorb it into yourself. like what are you describing, man? Yeah, you're describing becoming God is what you're describing yeah uh, what's that what's that uh, Ovid that um, metaf- metamorphosis? that's the word that's that's what the, that's what the christians describe you, you you can spiritually metamorphosize like a butterfly coming out of its cup, cocoon cocoon uh, and and you know emerge as god you yeah. know
1: i know uh i don't know if he's sufi or not he probably is if they're mystic though but you know the uh uh islamic poet rumi yeah i he's of him. a mystic poet yeah yeah uh it's beautiful stuff man i i I've I read it some of it when I was in high school. Uh, I was in a class where. All we did was read. We went in there and, um, you know, there was no, the teacher didn't talk or anything. You just had a book, whatever book you wanted and you would read it. And like the last five minutes, you would like write some like summary of what you read. Oh. And I never did that. So I failed that class. I, uh-huh. I legitimately failed that class. <laughs> I read the, I, I read tons of stuff in there, just but just I just, didn't, do the work. I just <laughs> didn't write it down. Um, but yeah, I read uh, some Rumi in that class. It's beautiful stuff. There's a lot of, like, references that I don't understand. One of them is yeah. something about parrots cracking sugar in heaven. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> See, that, that, that's the interesting part about, about the fact of cultures, other cultures, man. Yeah.
2: Because there's references and in interesting, colorful stuff, the way, that they, the way that they describe
1: it. You know, it's like just like eating different cuisines. It's amazing. Everybody's got their own For way. Sure. I think, um, like, a lot of it. Is I mean, he, they're love poems, so it's uh, he's talking about you know being on a veranda with someone together, but it's like they're one. Uh, like everyone understands that. That's not you know. Yeah. Uh, but then there's the line about the parrots cracking sugar in heaven, and I'm like, I don't get that. You know, <laughs> that one's above my head, Rumi. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, I've had some of those before. Like uh, there's a phrase in the Bible somewhere that says, um, "Divers weights and divers measures, both are abominations to the Lord." And I'm like, shit, that sounds like a serious thing. I bet, what the fuck's a diver? What the fuck's a measure? So I still don't really understand what that means. I think it has something to do with, um, uh, like, money changers, like, you know, uh, weight, like they would would weigh merchandise to figure out what it costs, like the value in coins or whatever. I think it has something to do with that, but I honestly have no idea. Huh. It's like, that's a reference, that's an old enough reference that we've lost the, you know, the There's source of
1: it. It's a lot of. Um in the Bible, it's there. I don't know if it's there in Islam or not, um, but I know that um, like kind of some of the older pagan things didn't look favorably on usury.
2: Oh yeah, taxes. Yeah,
1: um, and, and like interest on loans and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I just, I think that's interesting. It is interesting. It's a that's another one of those things that gets folded into the white supremacist talking points. Oh boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, so it's amazing how they, they like pilfer from everything you know yeah
2: I've got a uh, a little bit of a hippy dippy thing that I popped in my feed on Twitter the other day that I can talk to you about we so was running out of out of time uh, I don't know how long this segment will take but I want to try so I was going through Twitter the other day the guy that wrote this book right here this guy which I'm going to get to on the podcast soon on my solo episodes Mode, Modes of Sentience he tweeted a quote, and I'll read, read it to you. And I, when I read it, I was like, what I said to him was, uh, when I said, what was it? I said, what, what mystic tome, like, from what mystic tome did this quote originate or something? Because, uh, because, let me read it to you. It says, the question why anything exists presupposes that reality fills a void, that underneath being lies nothingness. This presupposition is pure illusion, for the idea of absolute nothing is like that of a square circle. And the hair stood up on my arms, and I was like, yes, who, who said that and where? And he got right back to me and told me. Um, this is a, a quote from a book called The Two Sources of Morality and Religion by a philosopher named Henri Bergson. A French philosopher named Henri Bergson. First of all, the fact that this guy wrote a book called The Two Sources of Morality and Religion that I never heard of. I have a book right next right next to me that says uh, The Varieties of Religious Experience, The Origin of the World's Religions. You know, why did I not
1: not know about this? When is the when it when was it written, Do you know? Uh,
2: he wrote in the late 1800s okay. and the early 1900s. Right. And he died like right like right during the Second World War or right before. And he influenced <laughs> people like Giles Deleuze, who we talked about on the podcast, is mm-hmm. a French philosopher. Um, he, you know, he influenced people like um, Martin Heidegger. You know, I fucking love Martin Heidegger yeah. from what I what I can understand because he's a fucking very wordy philosopher. Very hard. To, he makes it hard. He's like, look, I'm going to teach you some really you're deep gonna shit, but you're going to work for, work for <laughs> yeah. it. Um, so he he's part of a tradition that I didn't didn't know about, and maybe this is something we could talk about. On the podcast in the future, and maybe there's some connections to postmodernism that we can make because he influenced Deleuze, and he was a postmodernist. So anyway, these people are called French spiritualists, hmm. and in the in the 1800s, you know about the spiritualism movement. We talked about that. Yeah. People like Madame Blavatsky and Aleister Crowley, and Blavatsky. you know, um, uh, even like Alfred Russell, the guy that, that published the theory of uh, natural selection uh, with Charles Darwin. Um, even that guy was a spiritualist. They are doing seances. They were trying to communicate with the dead. This was a, a movement that was a worldwide movement at the time um, that it was like during a time when science was new enough that some of these occult type of ideas, they didn't seem quite so disjointed from science. It was There was still kind of this al- alchemical magic. There was still some kind of connection between the occult and science. There isn't really today. Yeah. Um, and these French spiritualists basically... They all believe different sort of different things, but the gist is that there is an immaterial reality that cannot be perceived by the senses. There's something beyond matter. It's immaterial that's at the basis of, of all things, and it can't be experienced, something like that. So yeah, I can definitely see how somebody like Heidegger would get would would come off of that tradition. It sounds super interesting, and I don't know who else is in that group. I want to find out. I wonder. I ordered a couple of these guys' books so we can talk about it. But what do you think about that? What do you think about that quote? That about it's
1: good. I mean, it's uh, it's like logical. It's you know, if you know what I'm, you know, I'm having a hard time talking. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Um. You know, even I don't know. It's like uh It's like um. It's just a logical sentence. Everything follows. Like, uh, what? What is? What do he he starts out talking about uh, in the quote? What is it? Yes, he says that, that that
2: you people presuppose that reality fills a void. Yeah. That in yeah. the absence of reality, that there's nothing, and he's saying that's a nonsense presupposition. That the thing that the when we think of this idea of nothing, that that doesn't exist, never has, can't exist, something like that. Yeah. So when we presume that reality fills a void and that that the void that we presume doesn't exist that there isn't a void there isn't nothing that that's not a thing you know and then he says he says that it's it's pure illusion he says for the idea of absolute nothing is like that of a square circle yeah that's
1: it so it's like he it, it makes it that makes it clear that like You can't square a circle. It's impossible. And just the the same way that that's impossible, the the idea of there being nothing is also impossible. It's just uh, that's kind of how I felt for a long time is just that there was no beginning, you know? Exactly. So I think that's like getting, getting around some of those
2: ideas, like the idea of nothing, getting around that as a concept there's lots of things like that, like slavery as an example, and, and the, the morality of slavery. We eventually realized that was wrong, and you know we all, we've, we're now all convinced by it, more or less. Mm-hmm. But we had to contend with that idea to figure out that it was an obstacle to our progress and to our development, um, because it was serving a purpose, and you know we're lazy, something like that. And what he's done is pointed out that something so simple as this idea of nothing, that that's holding us back from understanding something super important, and I had that same sort of revelation. It's like, uh, you know, there is no beginning or end. When you when you can get that, when you can get your head wrapped around that a, a, eternity, there is no there's there is no such thing as nothing. Um, it reminds me of that physics experiment where they they're trying to suck all this matter and energy out of the uh, space, so that they could like, create a vacuum that was pure, that didn't have anything in it, to see if it was possible. And they couldn't. They, science has not been able to figure out how to do that, because even when they do that, they're left with vacuum energy. There's something in there they can't remove. There's, it's impossible to have nothing, even in a small place. We can't do it, we can't do it. That's so interesting, man. That is interesting. That means there was, never, that means there was never nothing. There was always something, and that something that's always been has become everything that is, including you. That's a spiritual fucking amazing idea. And once you start, once you start toying with that idea, you know, if you can believe that there's never been a nothing, that 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 doesn't exist, never, it can't, in fact, exist. That if you think about that for more than a couple of minutes, it blows your, it will blow the top off your mind.
1: Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, I think. You think of uh, like religious creation myths, and
0: <clears throat>
1: I think a lot of people who are like, you know, strictly religious would be like, no, there was nothing, and then God created. But I mean, even in that scenario, there was God. Uh, and, but it just makes me think that a lot of the times, like, um, In a lot of these creation myths, it's like they say that there's... I I know in the, the like, Norse, they say that there's this giant void. But there's also, like, an ice world and a fire world Mm -hmm. above the void, too. So there is, like... It's like, still, there's something that exists, you know? Mm -hmm. I just think that's interesting. I just love the idea, the
2: uh, the mythological idea that you painted with opposites. The ice world and the fire world. Um, And you said something earlier. uh, Well, um... Being and nothingness. You know, something and nothing. But you you said something earlier about it. I talked about the angel and the demon. Uh, There was a way you put it earlier that I wanted to fucking bring up and I forgot. Anyway, that description of opposites is always so funny because it pops up when you have conversations like this, that, that's that Ouroboros that Jordan Peterson always talks about. Mm-hmm. It's like the symbol in mythology that allows us to talk about the beginning of things, the source of things. Call that God, call that whatever you will. It's something that, it, that isn't created or destroyed. It always is. And it's, it, what it is, is opposites in union. And that's an interesting idea, man, because, because mathematically, you think about that as, as a, an eliminating experience. Negative five meets positive five. What are you left with? Nothing. Positive charge meets a negative charge. What are you left with? Nothing. Matter meets antimatter. What are you left with? Nothing. But nothing doesn't exist. It's the Ouroboros. It's God. It's the source of, uh, and structure of being. It's, a, it's an amazing thing to realize. There is no such thing as nothing. I mean, the hair, Look, it's up on my arms, sir. yeah the ouroboros man, opposites united. That's not nothing, that's everything.
1: Whew. Yeah, man.
2: Maybe that's vacuum energy. I don't know. Could be.
1: Never heard that term before, vacuum energy. Yeah, look it up. Maybe I maybe I have, but yeah. All right, vacuum so I, energy.
2: Last time we did a podcast, I let you borrow two books on the Vikings. So one week later, did you read it?
1: I, no, I didn't read the whole thing. Did no. you read any of it? Yeah, I read a little bit of the Viking one. I didn't read any of the Kalevala one. Okay. Um, yeah. But they that actually they were talking about the uh, the creation, the story. That's uh, probably the
2: best one to start with. Anyway, yeah. anything interesting so far?
1: Um. Yeah. Definitely interesting things. I mean, like just what I was talking about there—that there's like uh, this giant void, but there's also uh, you know the fire world and the ice world that that um you know. Things fall out of those worlds into the void, and that created this. You know, yeah. So the
2: creation myths are my absolute favorite. Those stories are my favorite stories, and the the one that uh, the one that stands out from Scandinavia is um, the story of Ymir. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but Ymir is a, a frost giant or some kind of mythological creature that existed in like the primordial times, and uh, I don't remember. it. If he kills himself or gets killed or dies, I think
1: Odin and his siblings. Oh, kill him okay, yeah, him. yeah.
2: So, but his body becomes the physical world. So mm-hmm. his his bones become the mountains, and his blood becomes the oceans and rivers, and all that kind of thing. And uh, that story to me is so interesting for a few reasons because you see it lots of other places. You see it in India. There's a goddess named Prajapati. Same story. Her eye becomes the moon, her other eye becomes the sun, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Same thing in China, there's a god named Pangu, same thing. He's this hairy giant creature, his body gets turned into the the world. Um, Similar themes in uh, ancient Egypt about the eyes becoming the sun and the moon, the eye of Horus, that kind of thing. Um, But these stories where the body of God becomes the physical world, that's like, the, that's like the God's Debris story that we talked about, the, the Scott Adams story that, mm-hmm. that Daniel Thornton got us hip to, the story about God becoming the cosmos. That's a panpsychist myth, and I never realized it. I, I used to love those myths when I was a teenager. When I first read them, it blew my mind.
0: Yeah.
2: And I never realized until relatively recently that that's what it's describing. God becomes the universe. Mm-hmm. It's amazing.
1: It's pretty crazy. It's amazing. It is so it's weird that it's all over the place, you know.
2: There's nothing new under the sun, man. We're not definitely not the first people to have any of these ideas and you know, very few people have novel ideas, you know. It's true. Mostly we just improve other people's ideas. If we're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh all right, hey, do you um do you wanna have do you want to try to have Daniel Torridon on next week? Sure. Um, he's. Absolutely. I was tweet, tweeting with him and or DMing him or whatever, and uh, he's done that a couple times since we had him on the podcast before, just updating me on some stuff he's been thinking about. And he had this episode of his podcast he released not long ago where he was saying like it was kind of nice. It was kind of like uh, you just have to you have to go back and listen to it. But he was saying like when he first uh, left the Jehovah Witness Church um, that he felt like he was being pulled into this group, this ex jehovah Witness group. And there's a group on Twitter, you know, you just go see all these sure. people. Um, he thought he was getting pulled into this community, and he was. It sounded like he was grateful to have a community, you know. But he didn't. He didn't feel like he was doing it voluntarily. Like he felt like he mm. was being pulled into it. Not that he was choosing it. And then he he start, he, he kind of made it out like he felt like it was starting to determine his identity the way that Jehovah Witness did before that. Yeah. He was like, look, his whole the whole episode was like a ten minute pod- podcast was like, look, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness anymore. And I'm not an Ex- Jehovah's Witness. Like I, I'm not,
1: I'm not any of those things. Like, you're not going to put me in a in yeah. a box. Why would you, if you left something because you didn't agree with it? Why would you want to continue to be defined by it? And you exactly, know, yeah, I
2: man. thought that was wise of yeah. him to say, or to him to recognize it, because it would have been so easy to fall back in those patterns. And he, you know, you'd have to imagine he would want a community because he sure lost is. it all.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's a pretty interesting thing. That is. Um, so there's that. There's some interesting stuff he's talking to me about developing his sort of spiritual understanding. I'm curious to know how some of that stuff, some of that stuff he's been doing. Like he said, he he bought that shakti board and he's been doing yoga and stuff like that. And he's got that hippie girlfriend. I think she, I think she's a hippie, but we, we, we could ask him. Um, I mean,
1: she's got to be. She's got to have some hippie elements at the very least. Talking, about, you know. About this kind of stuff, there, there's hippie things going on. Even if you don't, you don't dress like a hippie. You don't have Birkenstocks, no, you know. True, you know, I, you're not I, a patchouli guy. But I am a hippie. You're fucking hippie, man. I'm, I'm a hippie, man.
2: All right, bud. Well, listen, um, I'm going to see if we can get Daniel on for next week. Uh, maybe you come up with some questions for him, and I'll do the same, and uh, we'll be able to make a podcast out of it. Sounds good. All right. Anything else?
1: Not that I can think of. All right.
2: That's two hours, my friends. Thanks for spending it with us. Adios.